When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And good morning, it's John Paul McNamara in for Patricia right through until 1. Our lines are open, 1850-333-103. Bernie takes your calls and comments this morning. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email jp at c103.ie. Or indeed, you can tweet at c103cork. Ahead on the show this morning, and this news making uh, the papers and a rumour on Sunday and Bank Holiday Monday is due to be confirmed, and this is how the government government is expected to announce a delay in the rollout of broadband outside of Ireland's cities. This national broadband scheme, well, it's been controversial to say the least over the last while. We've seen the Communications Minister, Dennis Nocton, resign over that particular scheme. We've also seen a number of bidders for the scheme putting out over the last year or two. It was due to be completed uh, around this year. Then it was next year. Now it could be beyond 2020 by the time this particular broadband scheme is or if it is even rolled out in 2020. Discussing that ongoing saga with the National Broadband Scheme this morning on the programme. And we're also going to hear why the council are being urged to be ready to carry out works on the Browery Gap in McCroom. Now this is if funding becomes available under the Rural and Community Development Funds. If that does come through, the last thing you want is a bunch of money to come through to the particular local authority but then the authority not ready to actually tender the process and have the building ready for works to be completed on it. The last thing you want then is the money to be taken away because uh, the local authority weren't ready to carry out their works. The Barry Gap, of course, in McCroom, it suffered fire damage back in 2015. The external side of the building looks okay. Internally, there is damage and that is what they will be working on. But you will see tourists if you're in the McCroom area, uh, when, especially in summer months and indeed in winter months as well, looking at the building and the fine building it is in the middle of the town. A lot of the shows are still going on, not though in the Bowery Gap. The majority of them, if they are going ahead, are going ahead in the Riverside Park Hotel, isn't it? At the other side, on the Clarny side of the town. But the actual Bowery Gap itself closed since 2015. Now the 
concern, I suppose, from many in the area is that they want this to reopen as soon as possible. So if funding does come through, this is where you want everybody to be ready on board and get the theatre up and running as soon as they can. We'll hear from uh, concerned locals about that this morning on the show. And also with uh, Angela Merkel leaving her role as German Chancellor and also we've had a no-deal situation so far anyhow when it comes to Brexit. A lot of people asking, what is the future of Europe? What is going to happen with the EU? Uh, Markets across the world have been volatile over the last number of days. A lot of changes going on in America, in China also, where people thought things would be on a growth spectrum in the last year or so, which they were for a while, but now seemingly growth is slowing in China. So a lot of questions to be asked about the EU. Uh, Where is it going when you see stalwarts like Angela Merkel leaving? And there is others, obviously enough, who will take over. There's a number of those mentions from France who will step into her role and things will continue on. But there is on the ground people asking where is all this going to end when you have other countries looking at Britain to see how it works out for them. Could others leave the EU? And of course, the big question then is Brexit. I mean, are those countries looking at the UK and going, well, the mess they're finding themselves in with no deals and deals for this, uh, is it safer just to stay within the EU? Or then have you a situation whereby in three or four years' time, when it is all passed over for the UK, they are in control of their own, their own borders, their own fisheries, and countries could say, well, you will suffer for a few years but could it work to your advantage later down the line? There's a lot of questions being asked about the EU at the moment, but then the major concern is jobs because we have seen so many big companies leave the UK and setting up their headquarters elsewhere in Europe. And just this week, I was reading that from the broadcasting side of things, ITV and Channel 5, they have to move some of their operations outside of the UK elsewhere in Europe because for program rights, if they need a program rights across Europe, well, then they need to be within the EU for that. So it's affecting various companies in various different ways. Uh, and we'll be speaking with uh, MEP for Ireland South, Deirdre Clune. She'll join us in studio later in the programme. Also, gardening advice. Peter Doddle is along answering all your gardening questions. So if you have a question for Peter, uh, get that into us across the course of the morning. We'll bring that to Peter. He'll join us just after 12.30 or so on the programme this morning. But our lines are open for your calls and comments. 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We had a big reaction to our show yesterday uh, mainly on the presidential election and I have a lot of comments on that that I will get through um, that we didn't get to yesterday just basically summing up one or two comments on what people uh, were thinking about yesterday regarding the presidential election regarding Peter Casey but also comments on other issues across the weekend to do with people who were out for the jazz and indeed people and students who go on trains or buses and put their feet up on the seat in front of them. That annoyed a lot of people. We didn't get to those comments either yesterday. We'll bring you those very shortly. And you can text us as well this morning, as I mentioned, 0862103103, or tweet at C103Cork. And we'll catch up on comments from yesterday's show shortly, but a lot of people have been on to us, and we mentioned this briefly last week, and this is how we're all being encouraged to take a look at electric vehicles. And we did get questions about this when uh, the story was introduced about electric vehicles, and indeed when people started talking and were interested about purchasing these vehicles well 
a lot of people were right. It seems now you're going to have to pay for going along and charging your vehicle at the charging points for the first time. It's something that was mentioned by listeners way back when all this came in and they said, wait for this. They will make sure that we are paying for this at charging points as these cars get more popular. And it seems from next year, from the middle of 2019, drivers of electric and plug-in hybrid vehicles will have to pay the at the public charging points, that is. And it's the first time this is happening at the charging network it has been free for the past, I think, nine years or so. And this, as we said, you know, to try and get you to go over and use these particular vehicles. But all these new hubs that are being set up around the place, they will now charge you. So if you have an electric vehicle, you decided to go electric. Well, if you're off now and driving around the place and you're charging up for free in the middle of 2019 that is all going to change it seems anyhow so far uh, the ESB has mentioned this over the weekend and it said revenue from this will go towards providing a network capable then of meeting the ambitious targets to end uh, the new petrol and diesel vehicle sales from 2030 but I'm not too sure if you are thinking of going electric or you have gone electric what do you make of that particular situation that you now will have to pay to charge your vehicle in a public place and there's not very many of them I have noticed around the Cork area maybe there's a new New ones coming on stream, but I was in the Limerick Clare Tipperary border a few weeks ago in Banana Kinaloo, and just beyond the particular town or village, there is um, a petrol station, big petrol station, one of those off the motorway kind of ones. And they had at least 10 or 12 of those charging points there. And they looked like the ones we had seen earlier on in the year from the UK. Uh, they were kind of red and, and kind of sh- funny shapes and not the usual shape we're used to seeing where you, if you go along to a town car park, you will see the ESB one that's in many of the car parks around uh, the county and they're kind of a green colour. Uh, now, these were the ones like we've seen from the UK, basically a different shape. And initially I thought it was something to do with valeting your car but then when I look closely no there were new electric charge points anyhow they are in place in some petrol and diesel stations I haven't seen them in the Cork area anyhow I haven't seen a lot of them but then again uh, we don't have a lot of motorway network in Cork so maybe that is one of the reasons why I haven't come across it but I did come across it there on the Limerick Clare border a few weeks ago maybe you have let me know uh, regardless of all of that anyhow we're going to be paying for charging our cars next year if you have gone electric and so we had a lot of people on to us yesterday about the price of going out in Cork, whether that be for a meal or people that were out jazzing at the weekend who hadn't been out in the city for a while. We're taken back at the price of alcohol and indeed the price of food. Well, it seems now and it's claimed that Ireland is the third most expensive country to go out in the EU on a night out. New research shows that the average couple on a night out will spend just, this is just one night out by the way will spend €180 socialising. That's just one night out which is a huge amount of money to think you could drop €100 to €180 on a night out. Uh, Well, a lot of people were not happy with what they came across over the weekend. Um, John and also Trish were on to us who were out across the weekend and uh, for a point of smithics John paid over six euros in a city bar and Trish was on to us as well yesterday evening uh, noticing this rise in socialising and drinking in the this is mainly city areas now in suburbs and people going and attending the jazz festival 9.50 for a gin and tonic to 10 euros after another half an hour and we know the prices go up every half an hour usually from 11 to half 11 Uh, but are we getting a bit out of hand here in Cork do we think we're in Dublin because 
that is Dublin prices. And actually, Dublin can be cheaper than some of the prices in Cork at the moment. So is that something we need to look at here in the Cork area? Regards of that, anyhow, uh, we have a situation where Ireland is far more expensive than other countries in the EU. Uh, but do we need to take a look at ourselves here in Cork? And did you notice that over the weekend, if you were out and about, or indeed in general when you were out? Do you notice things getting far more expensive? Let us know, like John and Trish did. You can text or WhatsApp 86 and just going through comments we didn't get to yesterday on the show, and this, first of all, is with regards to the presidential election and Peter Casey. And just the final few views on Peter Casey. John saying the message basically from the election is that Sinn Féin haven't any real support, but normally cash in on a floating protest vote, which found a new home in Peter Casey, feels John. While Christie says, as a PEYE worker, I don't disagree with Peter Casey, but it's a pity that he didn't focus on those at the top who were really milking the system through tax evasion loopholes set up for them to avail of. What about the banks who caused the destruction of this country and generations to come and nothing done about it? It is easy to get rolled up against minority groups at the bottom, but what about the wealthy minority at the top who are the real culprits, wondering how many would be prepared to put their heads above the parapet and openly and go and canvas for Peter Casey? Very few, I think, says Christy in Limerick on text to 0862103103. And I mentioned the jazz there uh, that I was with people and the expense of going out. Another Trish was on to us yesterday just at the end of the show saying, I was in town in the city centre on Sunday and Patrick Street was jammed with car traffic during the car ban. I did see that myself actually on Bank Holiday Monday between the time is 3.30 to 6.30. There was a lot of cars on Patrick Street and obviously wasn't being informed forced on Bank Holiday Monday but the car ban was in place for Bank Holiday Monday thank you for your text on that Trish and very finally from yesterday uh, and this got a lot of reaction we were talking about students who were cleaning up the streets and cleaning chewing gum off the streets while a text here was saying maybe if all those students you speak about could take their legs off the bus when they are sitting on the bus, taking their shoes off the seats on the bus. It's very annoying. So when you're sitting on a bus and there's a a person behind you putting their legs against the back of your chair or indeed putting their feet on the seat in front of you, well, that made John to make contact with us saying, yes, I totally agree with that particular listener. It happened to me on the train last week when I sat down, the lady across the way from me sat down also, put her legs up on the chair next to me, but unknown to her, There was dog dirt on her shoe and the dog dirt then was rubbed all over the seat next to me. Oh, gosh. Imagine sitting next to that then and the smell of it. Oh, anyway, that was John's experience on the train. So I think keep your leg off the seat in front of you on the train or you could be like John in that situation uh, cause a comment so welcome if you have found yourself in that particular strange situation you can do that to Bernie 1850 text or whatsapp 86 I have a lot of uh, comments in regarding Halloween a lot of things happening for Halloween I also want to mention the Liam, tribute, Liam Miller tribute match of course uh, a big amount of money raised for that and went to a lot of car charities so, uh, bringing an update on that as well across the morning and if you're in the Charleville area this morning just to let you know from now 
until 4 o'clock. There is no water in the railway road area of Charnival, Bakers Lane, Broad Street and Clancy's Terrace. The water due to be restored there in Charnival at 4 o'clock. Also in Castle Tambert, there was works going on in the square in Castle Tambert and there is no water there until 1.30 onwards today. And also there's a burst of water main in the Temple Martin area near Bandon and there will be no water there until after 5 o'clock today. Our lines are open. You can text as well 0862103103. And on the way, more bad news for the National Broadband. Yeah, it doesn't seem now it's going to be rolled out across Ireland cities beyond 2020. We'll speak with Cork East Deputy Sean Sherlock next on that matter. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. The government is expected to announce a delay in the rollout of broadband outside Ireland's cities. Paper reports over the bank holiday weekends report that new rural connections may not be completed now until 2020 or beyond at the earliest. The target for this time around was 2019. Uh, one local deputy has been speaking out about this over the last year or so on this particular broadband issue. That is Labour. Cork East Deputy Sean Sherlock who joins me in studio this morning. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning JP. Now it's something even off here I know you were talking to staff who are from the Mallow area here just about what is coming down the stream but isn't available yet to many living in that area of North Cork. I mean this particular national broadband scheme it's been controversy after controversy really with this. I mean more recently I suppose Dennis Nocton resigning over the private dinners he had at one of the bidders and then Air pulling out and now this further delay which is due to be officially announced soon I mean, where is this all going to end? You know, we had dates 2018, 2019, now 2020. Yes, and we're we're now on the cusp of 2019 and we're still none the wiser. So if we go back to 2012, when the announcement was first made by Pat Rabbit, there was a budget line of approximately 500 million. A number of bidders came into that process. And if you go to uh, last year, AIR did a deal, a side deal, with the department to provide 300,000 uh, connections, if you will, of the 800,000 that were encapsulated within the entirety of the broadband plan. But at that point, what happened then was that Vodafone and Syro and others pulled out of the scheme because it was felt that by doing a side deal for 300,000 of the uh, you know, the 800,000, which left 500,000 to do, uh, the other Bidders, if you will, felt that there was a bit of cherry picking going on here by air and air were able to kind of go after, we'll call it the low hanging fruit. That was the perception publicly. It completely compromised the entire scheme because there were others like Vodafone, ESB, Syro, you know, all of those names that you've heard mentioned. They decided then to say, well, look, you know, why should we continue in this vein? And they subsequently pulled out. Fast forward then, you have one bidder left, which is Granahan McCourt, um, of which there are a number of substitutes or constituent parts. I won't mm-hmm. go into the details of that. And it turns out that, uh, you know, the the minister ends up having dinner with the final and only bidder that's left in the process. Now, some people will say, well, sure, weren't they going to get the bid and the tender anyway? But there is still a process in Irish law and tendering law that says you do not go near the bidder, especially if you are the minister, while there is still a bid process going on. And common sense as well would prevail, you would hope, in that particular... 100%. And I've served as a minister and I don't proclaim to have the wisdom of Solomon, but I'd know well that if there was a bidder coming into me, you know, you, you would stay... 
mm-hmm. you would stay a mile from them, you know, so as not to convey the impression that there is anything untoward going on. So what what we have now, and this is what is the most important thing for your listeners, is that we have Peter Smith being appointed by the government to review the existing tender process. And he has to basically ascertain whether or not the current broadband tender process has a future. That's the first question. And right now, we do not know the answer uh, to that question. He is to report back to government by mid-November. Uh, Remember now that there uh, there are only 175,000 of the 300,000 that AIR said that they would cherry-pick. They're, they're rolling that out as we speak. So, And then there's the 500 or half a million other connections that have to be made. So the question is whether it has a future and whether or not Granahan and McCourt are going to be the final bidders still remains to be seen. But you'd have to say, in on balance and objectively speaking, that if the minister himself, former minister, said he had dinner with Granahan and McCourt and there were no officials of the department present to take any notes of that meeting, then it's very hard to make a conclusion that, for instance, the process is clean and that the minister never discussed the issue or or did discuss the issue. You can't determine one way or the other. In other words, there is still the big cloud of doubt hanging over the process. And I can't see how the Taoiseach uh, or the, the new minister is going to come out and say that they have absolute confidence in the process. And I would, I would not be surprised if we're going to end up in a process that will start again from scratch. And that's going to be the terrible thing about all of this. Yeah, and it's a worry because it looks like it could head that way. This report you mentioned is going to due to be out in November. If that just show that the process wasn't done in the correct way, we are back to square one. We've also heard from the telecom sector. They feel that the government is showing less enthusiasm now about this particular broadband scheme. Even if it does go back to day one again, I don't know, will you have the likes of Vodafone, Syro or even Air interested in signing up to this? They're a bit disheartened by everything. Well, well, I I think they may not sign up to the National Broadband Plan if there is a new plan. And we have to keep in mind the fact that that there are 500,000 and and they're your listeners, you know, they're Mm -hmm. people that I represent who have no broadband as we speak. And, you know, they are depending on a National Broadband Plan. So I would say that we do need a plan because I think this is, you know, the comparisons always made with this is similar to the rollout of, you know, the phones in the 70s. It is vital now for every household to have uh, broadband. So I, I would keep faith with the idea that we do need to have some sort of a plan. The Cyros and the Vodafones are all off doing uh, rolling out. Uh, you, you'll have seen vans around, you know, certain mm-hmm. towns in the county of Cork, Mallow in particular, where they're actually rolling out through the ESB network fibre actually capability directly to the home. So I think there is going to be a market for that as well, even if they are not in the National Broadband Plan. But that doesn't speak to the people who are living in areas that are not going to be served by that uh, process, if you will. So I I think what, what I want to see happening here is... Smith, Mr. Smith coming back with a report, if he determines that it's not fit for purpose, and if we're saying that the National Broadband Plan criteria is that you have to bring fibre to the home, they call it FTTH, right, Mm -hmm. that they might look at other options. Because if you look at the Black Valley in Kerry, for instance, they have a a broadband system, and that was the last place in the country to actually get rural electrification in the late 70s, right? So there is maybe an argument to be made that you could use wireless internet service providers and include them as part of a new plan if it was going to be uh, created because that would get over a lot of the the infrastructural challenges that you'd have of getting to more remote areas, if you will. 
But notwithstanding all of that, John Paul, there is also the issue of the fact that even people who have existing services do not have proper existing services and you could be living yeah. in the town of Mallow or Bandon or Fermoy or Mitchison or wherever and you might still be signed up to an internet service provider but still not getting the broadband width that you are paying heavily for uh, because the infrastructure is still you know, not fit for purpose. You may, that's a very good point. And how many days we get calls here from people who were in that situation, who are with one of those services we have mentioned, but from 6pm in the evening until 10 o'clock in the evening, they don't have any broadband. And that's the time, obviously there's more people using at that time, but that's the time people want to use it, whereas it's the stream TV services. I mean, you have Air and Vodafone now providing TV services via streaming. So if that goes down, you don't have TV. Everything is done online. Students who cannot now afford to live in Cork City for college have to do their assignments at home they can't get online to do those it's a big circle that's going very wrong very fast and you're right to bring in those who provide wireless services in the more rural areas because a lot of them services feel they are being left out but how do we control this if we cannot if we have the infrastructure there in towns at the moment people have broadband but can't avail of it when they need it and they're paying for it I mean if we can bring electricity to the most rural areas of Ireland back in the 20s and 30s why cannot we get this right in today's days is it because there's a lot of, of what we saw going on with Minister Nocton those kind of meetings and telecom sectors looking at this and just feeling this isn't going to work out and people putting out left right and centre it didn't happen back in the 20s but you touched on something there and I think you know there isn't a house now that doesn't have electricity yeah, yeah. and if you can get a electricity into a house you can get fibre optic cable into a house if you get the fibre optic cable into the house you're home and hose because then you can connect into a fibre optic mm-hmm. network that gives you all, as much bandwidth as you need as much capability as you need and I think that's the key to this and what's happening now is that when Syro and which was Vodafone and the ESB pulled out, they went off and they actually started rolling out in certain key towns throughout the country. So, you you know, Mallow is one of those towns. I, I don't recall some of the other towns. So I think that the market, you need to create competition within the market. Mm-hmm. And if it's a case of using the existing telephone exchange, which is the air proposition, or getting it directly into the home via your cable coming directly into the roof of your house, then I think, you know, what you need to do is to set up, and I would argue, I'm not saying a new system, but some sort of a broadband plan that is subsidised by government that ensures that as a social function that, uh, you know, given the, the social need for this now, it's not just about economics, it's about the social need for every house to have broadband, that you could devise a new scheme or rejig the pre-existing scheme to allow a greater number of providers to come in and make an offering. Because what I fear will happen now is that if Mr Smith determines that uh, the current scheme is not fit for purpose, if you could have a situation where those people who pulled out of the scheme uh, could say that they would have some sort of maybe legal argument for mm-hmm. some sort of compensation. You know, if he decides that we're going to plough on with the process, sorry, forgive me, if he decides that we're going to plough on with the process and the government backs his determination in that sense, well then, if I was one of the other providers, I'd be looking at that with eagle eyes because I'd be saying, well, you know, you know, would I not have a legal case because you have determined that the process is fit for purpose but what about the question marks that are still hanging over the fact that one of the tenders did actually meet with, you know, the the now resigned minister? Yeah. The other thing as well from a political point of view here is that the minister resigned. He came into the chamber 
he he did not give a full account of what transpired between himself and and Granahan McCourt, and I think there are still question marks over those um, o- over those meetings, which have not been fully explained by government. You would like to see him come out and say publicly uh, what came out from those meetings and what those meetings uh, was about, because you know there were quite a number of meetings. Uh-huh. We are still in the dark about those meetings, and you know I have to say that if it was if if it was a Labour minister, you know, just speaking for my own party, you know, we'd have been put through the rigors. Uh, you know, uh, you know, for 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 not answering those questions, and the government has not been held to account at all by uh, by I would argue Fianna Fáil on this issue. He went uh, too quietly. I, I think he went too quietly, and he went without any proper questioning. Now we'll see if the uh, confidence and supply agreement has wording stitched into that when that emerges, which will ensure that there is a broadband plan that will f- be fit for purpose. Because at the end of the day, what we want here is to ensure that people get access to broadband, and broadband now is almost seen as a right. It's not just something that is a you know that is 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 a function of the market. Yeah. It's almost like a right. It's like electricity back in the day. It is a right, and, and you, you need to have it these days for anything. Uh, on that conference of, and supply agreement, broadband is being mentioned there with Fianna Fáil and it's one of their major talks when dealing with that. I mean, is, is is the broadband scheme something that could bring down this particular government? I don't think there's going to be anything before Christmas, but is it something that could pull the trigger next year if, if things don't continue on with this, despite the private companies doing their own thing and rolling out their own networks? I, I personally, and I, I'm often wrong on these matters, I don't think the government will fall on broadband. Mm-hmm. I think it would be, you know, something far more political, if you will. Uh, I, I don't think Fianna Fáil are going to bring down a government on the basis of the non-rollout of broadband. Um, that's only my personal opinion. Um, there are some in Fianna Fáil who might have a, you know, would have a better opinion on that. I think the key thing for us here today, though, is to remember that, you know, the, the minister did, during his term, offer or took up the Aircom offer to provide broadband to 300,000 houses or or premises. And that hasn't been fully rolled out yet. And why was that deal done? And why was it then subsequently that the other bidders pulled out? They obviously determined that they could not make, for the amount of inward investment that they would take, any kind of a profit or return. Because what what they were left with was the the difficult-to-reach places. That completely undermined the plan. So if, if Mr Smith's review doesn't speak to that issue, you know, I think a lot of people in the door will be very disappointed and there will be further questions of the government. Well, we'll wait and see what the Smith report brings in November. Sean, before I let you go, the presidential election, a big talking point on the show yesterday. Obviously, Michael D is remaining president of this country. I'm sure from a Labour point of view, you're happy with that. But what do you make about the, the whole Peter Casey vote? That was the talking point yesterday on the show. Everybody wanted to talk about Peter Casey and the fact that he had 2% and in the vote, it had gone up to over 20%. A lot of the constituencies here in Cork County, Cork East, Cork Northwest, and Cork Southwest uh, giving him a large vote of, of the first preferences. Uh, a lot of people think it's a protest vote. Okay, he, he said what he said about travellers. He said what he said about the welfare state. And he said about those who get up and go to work. And the latter two is what we got the majority of calls on. People agreeing with what he said there. And we did get calls about the traveller issue as well. But the protest vote usually would go to Sinn Féin. It seems to be going now to 
the likes of Peter Casey and Labour always a party seen for the working person now those voters were telling us they were voting for Peter Casey does it hang questions over yourselves and Labour and then for Sinn Féin as well or, or is it wrong to look at that from a presidential election? I, I think if you were to look at it from a, a Labour perspective mm. I think you'd have to say that um, well uh, let me say that I, I was one of the people who signed Michael Dean Higgins nomination papers in 2011 so I'm a little bit of a part of history in that yeah. sense in that I was one of the people that actually supported Michael D. Higgins within the Labour Party uh-huh. when there were others within the Labour Party who wanted to run other candidates for the presidency. So myself and others in Cork, not- notably Kathleen Lynch, we were out of the, the, the starting blocks for Michael D. in 2011. My, my late father actually signed Mary Robinson's nomination oh. paper. So I, I, I don't know if, if that's historical. I think yeah. we're possibly the only father and son who have signed nomination papers for two yeah, two, two presidents. Uh-huh. So I, I suppose I'm nailing my colours to the mast there in terms of Michael D. Higgins. I'm nailing my colours to the mast in terms of uh, the vote that he got in my constituency of Cork East, which was, you know, 20,000 plus votes. Peter Casey came in at 7,000 and odd votes. So I think there's no comparison there between, if you're talking about an analysis, mm. I think Labour voters in Cork East voted overwhelmingly for uh, Michael D. Higgins. So I think that that's incontrovertible. I think that's the same for every other constituency where you have, you know, maybe Labour representatives as well. So on to Peter Casey. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a phenomenon. Uh, he arrived on the scene. Nobody knew who he was. And before you know it, he had 20% of the vote. He said some things. There were some things that chimed with people. And whether we like it or not, there is a perception that there are certain people within society who do get away with certain things with impunity, whether whether we like it or not. So I think what, what the political system has to do now, what government has to do, it has to listen to what people were saying in relation to the issue around travellers. Now, we all, within the Dáil, all members of the Dáil, uh, voted overwhelmingly to give travelling people, uh, the, you know, to recognise their status as a particular people, if you will, okay, mm-hmm. as a minority group. So that's every politician, be it Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. So we now have to grapple with the fact that there were a significant m- minority of people out there who said, you know, we perceive that the, there are some members of the travelling community who who get away with a hell of a lot with impunity. And that's something that will have to be dealt with. Now, I I happen to, you know, there there are good and bad in society, John Paul. And the way I would look at this is that there are people who come into my office and I don't care what the colour of their skin is or, or, or where they come from, you try to help people. And there are very genuine people within all communities, including the travelling community. And I would say that the majority are very decent people. But then there's always a significant, you know, there's a significant minority again within that mm. community who seem to who seem to operate, you know, without any, with, where, where the law does not appear to apply. Now, if we don't tackle that, that's going to grow and grow and that sentiment will grow and grow. So whether or not Casey, Casey now has said that he's going to join Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil have rebuffed him. <laughs> yeah. I can't talk about Fianna Fáil and Casey. That's there for them. But if he puts his name on a ballot paper for the Dáil and he wants to form a new political party, I hear Renua are kind of courting him as well. We'll see what happens there. L- you know, let him put his name on the ballot paper and let him put run candidates in constituencies on an anti-traveller ticket and on the the people who get up and work in, you know, early in the morning, etc., etc. You know, I, I'm not trying to dodge the question, but what I am trying to do here is to say that hard rhetoric sometimes 
you know, c- can go down very well with people, uh, and particularly in a presidential election campaign where the level of debate, I would argue, was 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 quite low. It all it became about Learjets and this, that, and the other. It just proved that the 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 figurehead that is the president is only a figurehead and has a constitutional role in relation to the passing of bills and others. But I just so happen to believe strongly in my own heart that Michael D. Higgins, I think, overwhelmingly spoke for Irish people. And I've been with him when he's represented people abroad, and I've been in his company. You know, when he's spoken about all sorts of issues. And I think if 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 we can find a language that deals with the issue of the the non-application of the law for certain sectors of society and the genuine perceptions that people have about what is happening within certain sectors of society, I think that's what where we need to go. We have to, in other words, John Paul, we have to speak for the people who voted for Casey. Yeah, and, if, and, and, and we there's can't a lot of them out there. And, and we even can't ignore that. A lot of our listeners, it wasn't a surprise to me that he got such a good vote because the week and a half before the actual election itself, we got so many calls saying we were giving Peter Casey uh, his first preference yeah. because they felt uh, in a way that they were being let down. And I think they felt the well, Dublin establishments were being let down. I'm sure you hear that on the ground well, as well. Well, remember this, Irish people, by and large, you know, and I, I don't want to give platitudes here, are will give you know everybody a fair wind mm. and and re- believe in a bit of equality and fairness that's what irish people believe fundamentally that's who we are as a people and i think that you have to see that the law is applied equally no matter who you are in society from the top down to the bottom everybody the bottom equal. up yeah. you know and so there are issues in relation to how the law is being applied in respect of um, certain people but that's not just travellers that is that's everybody that is everybody yeah. You'll do, see do you feel that Peter Casey has shaken up Linster House in a way uh, is there people w- in the corridors going you know we need to look at this going into the future because clearly people aren't overly happy whatever and I'm sure you know this anyway that well of what's going on in Linster House people feel you are out of touch well, I, I don't think you could say we're out of touch because I'm I'm here talking to you today in a local radio mm. station. Well, maybe not, talking about maybe local not the rural uh, cities yeah. like yourself now in, in Cork East and in Kerry South or wherever, but they do feel those the ministers that are currently in power, they feel the decisions they make can be out of touch. Well, I, I think if you look at the broadband plan, there's a clear yeah. evidence there, there that are, they, yeah. they are out of touch with what, what the ordinary experiences of uh, are of people on the ground. I, I think in relation to crime in rural areas and who is instigating the crime, and, and this is not just travellers, it's mm. you know, others as well in terms of the policing of rural areas, in terms of what communities are and how communities break down, in terms of housing, you know, there are, in terms of services, you know, there's any number of issues there that we could talk about till the cows come home in relation to the di- the divide that exists between urban and rural and whether or not people in Dublin fully get what's going on beyond the pale. And I would argue that myself. I've had those arguments with people uh, in Dublin about what the normal experiences of people are on the ground. But the point here is that Casey, to answer your question again about whether or not he has kind of upset people in Dáil Éireann, I would say that the answer to that is no, because people in Dáil Éireann, get their mandate from ordinary people on the ground. So I'm elected by the people of Cork East. That's people of every hue, persuasion, whatever. So, you know, we're we're closer to the ground than people might imagine. I think he will have upset the political system if he puts his name on a ballot paper for the doll and forms a new political party and then puts that to the test. And that's the true test because a presidential election is different. Mm. And this particular presidential election, you had Michael T. Higgins way out in front and then you had three dragons. I mean, you know, three reality television stars, yeah. you know, all trying to outbid each other. Um, Sinn Féin then were, I, th- I, I perceived that Leah Riada 
and and I, I think she's a, a, a woman of great integrity, I think was perceived maybe to be a bit of a reluctant candidate. Uh, and, and I think it was unedifying to see the other candidates attacking Michael D. Higgins, uh, you know, towards the end. I thought that was unedifying. The Casey phenomenon was, I think his, his attitude was shoot first, ask questions later. That, would, that has proven not to be a tried and tested argument in the long run. But at the end of the day, we still have to acknowledge the fact that he got 20% of the vote yeah. and we have to acknowledge the issues that he raised. And that's important. That is. And it's also important. We'll go back to the broadband issue in November when we see what comes out from that report. For the moment, Sean, appreciate you taking time out to join us in studio this morning. Corky's Deputy, Sean Sherlock. A lot of calls and comments and just regarding uh, the presidential election also on the broadband issue I'll get to those after 11 but the Barry Gap stands in the centre of McCroom Town it remains idle following a fire in 2015 but one local councillor is calling on the council to be ready to commence refurbishment works on the Barry Gap Theatre and indeed on the library once funding is sanctioned from the Rural Regenerational Development Fund that councillor is Governor Moynihan and she joins me this morning on the programme good morning to you Governor Hi, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Now, we know the uh, Barry Gap, it did close in 2015. Shows still going ahead, though, some nights in the Riverside Hotel and the library is located further down the street. Your worry is, though, if you do get funding from the Rural Regenerational Development Fund, that the council may not be ready to start the works and then you don't want this funding or you don't want to lose this funding, basically. Well... Do you know, I suppose the important thing is to get the doors of the Barry Gap open, you know, and that's my main goal. It's a huge loss to the town, you know, like it's a cultural hub there and it's, you have the library there, you have, um, you have plays going on there, you have people bustling in and out. Like before you'd have the, the kids going in there doing their study in the library, you know, there was this great buzz around the place and that was huge for the local economy as well, you know, like people staying in McCroom so that they could go to the shows or, you know, spending money in the town while they're there in the shops are dropping into the library while they're up in the square doing other shopping. You know, so it was really accessible. And, you know, a huge thing too about the Barry Gap there was that it was accessible to a rural area, like a cultural uh, theatre hub, accessible to all, you know, instead of having to travel into Cork, into the city, which mightn't suit everyone, you know. So my main goal is to get those doors open as soon as. And it's, they're closed too long at this stage for me. And I suppose I want everything to move and move now, you know. So, um, And are you confident, Sir Governor, that you will get the actual funding so the council can start the uh, works? Is that something you're confident about? We'd have to now because, like, I suppose the financial side of it is is that there's need for roughly four million. Cork County Council have put up a million. There's money coming back from the insurance, which roughly we're being told is about a million. So, and then there's a small bit of money coming back from Barry Gap's own insurance. Um, we're down a million and a half. Like the government have put two hundred and fifty thousand into it so far. That's six percent of the overall costing. It's surely now the time for the government to step in and commit to McCroom, show that they're serious about regenerating a town that really needs it right now. So this, we surely will get this grant, this grant when, it, when it is due now in the next few weeks, we should know. And I want then, if and when that money comes through, 
that Cork County Council is ready to go. Do you know that they have the, the books in order, that they have the final design, that we can go ahead and do the planning, and then that people can see the planning and make submissions on it through the part eight, like that they can put in their opinions on whether they think this design will work for the town, for the library, for the theatre, and, and, and be happy with it and be part of the process. And, and get uh, it moving. Are you hopeful that the council are ready to start those works? And if they are, then how long will these works go on for when you look at the tendering process and indeed people to make submissions on how it would look inside? Well, we have to be starting next year. If if this Rural Regeneration Development Fund money comes through, we need to be started next year. The, the design is being finalised. They have started back into it again. When that design is finalised, they want to start straight into the planning, thank God, in, and that will be where people can put in their submissions. The insurance, I was only talking to them again yesterday, they said, look, there's another few weeks in it. We'll have a final figure on how much is coming back from that. So things are moving. Um, but it is the pressure needs to stay on it. Like Those doors need to be open like it's entertainment at Lee Valley's doorstep do you know like yeah. it's just so accessible to all around um, and a very cultural area as well the governor the Lee Valley mm-hmm. and the McCroom area a lot of culture there and you mentioned the economic side of it there as well something people might have forgotten about the people it draws to the actual town to see shows and also the fact you'd have students there studying and they'll spend money in the shops within the town centre Exactly. Like, if you imagine maybe somebody elderly who'd love to go see the matchmaker, they don't have to be elderly to go see it, but it's actually on in the Riverside Park Hotel the next week or the week after, the 15th of November. Like, they can just go see it locally. They don't have to be, you know, some people don't like driving in the dark. Like, mm-hmm. this is just down the road from them. How accessible is that? It's, it's wonderful for the area. It gives so much, but it also the town itself receives so much from it as well, from the economy side of it. Um, so, yeah, I would be pushing for it and keeping the pressure on. And, like, it's a perfect opportunity for the government. 6% so far, they've, they've, they've put forward funding. Like, the Burry Gap has been open 20 years. It looked for very, very little funding off the government up to now. But now is time in need. Now we need the government to step up and actually mind McCroom. You know, put the money on the table so that we can get going and start into this. Start the building, get the doors reopened, the lights up, the lights on, and the buzz back into the centre of town. Well, we'll see what happens, Governor, uh, with that particular funding, first of all, and indeed what happens with the Barry Gap for the moment. Thank you for joining us this morning on the programme. That's a McCroom councillor, Governor Moynihan. And if you're in McCroom, I'm sure you would agree you would like to see the Barry Gap reopened externally. It looks perfect. It's internally the damage was done and you will see various tourists, various people looking at this particular building when they're in McCroom. And it's a shame it is idle for the last uh, three years, but hopefully uh, the funding will come through and it can reopen and bring that vibrancy back into the heart of McCroom as Governor said uh, your views on that do you think more funding should be made available for theatres like this in areas like McCroom maybe in other areas of the county as well where we have so many theatres in the North Cork area and indeed in, in the West Cork area and East Cork area as well which are all doing well but should they be given more funding and an investment to their area let us know 1850 or are we asking for too much altogether you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 on the way we're going to hear about a changing Europe with Angela Merkel leaving her role as German Chancellor and also a no deal still on the cards for Brexit what is the future of the EU Ireland South MEP Deirdre Clune joins us after midday along with your calls and comments and more You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed This is Cork Today Cork Today 
with Patricia Messenger on C103. It's a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you. Bernie takes your calls. You can call her on 1850 333 103. Or indeed, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. You can always tweet this morning at C103 Cork or indeed email jp at c103.ie. Just your comments in, first of all, on what we did speak there to Deputy Sean Sherlock on and his views on the presidential election and indeed on the votes that came in for Peter Casey, the big talking point from the election uh, and really that people were voting because they felt they weren't being represented. Well, a few texting on that. First of all, a person here texting the government's party, uh, the government parties, they're mudding the water as to who are the marginal in our society and the marginal group. Well, I can tell you the marginal groups are the group working hard and paying for everything in this country and we are also the ones obeying all the laws in this country. Well, another texter saying, I'm one of those who get up early in the morning at 6am to go to work. I would not vote for Casey or any party he lines up with in a fit. In view of her work with people suffering from depression and its effect, I regard Joan Freeman's poor showing as the Irish denial attitude in public to those suffering from depression, says that particular listener. While Pat says he hopes Peter Casey starts a new party, and Sean Sherlock was mentioning that in our conversation about him, either joining a party or starting up a new party and putting and fielding candidates across the various constituencies in Ireland. Pat says we need to move on from the rubbish we have and have at the moment and stop all this rubbing us uh, that's going on in the country feels Pat on text 0862103103 while Liam in North Cork he says his family uh, we all voted for Peter Casey because his views on third level education he was championing free third level education for all he said it could be paid for from the money we got when we sold AIB and if a graduate left the country after a few years they would have to pay back their tuition interesting point that was made but I think overlooked during the election Liam thank you for that you can call us 1850-333-103 call Bernie or text or WhatsApp 0862103103 I mentioned earlier on the programme as well about those who were out over the jazz weekend and were quite shocked at the price of drink and food in the city for the jazz and it wasn't really because the prices went up they may have in some places but the majority were the same prices well in the last latter part of this year anyhow are, are the same as prices for every weekend you go out in the city uh, people comparing it to Dublin prices even dearer than Dublin in some occasions well uh, Margaret here is saying it is very dear to go out and not only in the city but also in the county as well I was out in Formoy recently and I found it a bit more expensive than it would have been a few months ago prices are increasing slowly but surely yes we are a bit more expensive than other areas of Ireland I wouldn't go to say so far as Dublin but we are creeping up near Dublin prices says Margaret well another texter here says yes I was in a pub in Formoy and I feel not only in Formoy everywhere I suppose it is getting more expensive regarding the price of alcohol this text is saying we can't go out anymore. You wonder then while people are drinking at home. And that's always a worry for some uh, when people do start drinking at home because at least in a bar you can be maintained and monitored in a home situation 
you know, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol that isn't consuming a lot of alcohol, it cannot be monitored and only it's up to the person drinking the drink uh, can sustain what they think is a lot or not a lot to drink. Anyhow, uh, thanks for your text regarding the price of alcohol and food. And it seems that is on the increase from the feedback we're getting anyhow. And I mentioned about charging electric cars and how we're all going to be. Well, if you have an electric car now and you charge it in a public area and, you know, those green boxes, the ESB ones that you spot in various towns for charging your electric car. Well, uh, they and the newer ones that you'll see in some petrol stations, you'll be charged yourself for using those from mid-2019. Uh, Sandy making a point on this, saying electric cars need as much electricity to charge, depending on power and the model, as milking machines and tanks in most dairy farms. Bills from €40 Euros extra monthly can be expected if you are charging these at home. Charging for free at public charging points just cannot continue. I believe providers are filtering in some costs into their overall costs and bill payers nationally are pushing current charging costs. Electricity just has to be paid for says Sandy so Sandy agrees with the paying of the electric car at charging points across the country and a text in here a whatsapp even from Heidi who heard me speaking about the electric charge points and I did mention that I was in Badenlach in a few weeks ago that's on the Clare Tipperary border just outside Limerick and on that particular in that area just as you're leaving uh, heading back to Limerick there is a, a forecourt which has a number of those charging points like the ones we have seen in the UK I haven't seen it anywhere in Cork as yet anyhow maybe there is off the motorway in the Fermoy Mitchellstown area I just haven't come across it where I've been stopping uh, but I've seen a number of them in that particular spot and thanks to Heidi who sent me a picture and that's the exact picture uh, that I saw when I was in that area of Balanakilu and yeah they're, they're called Telsla are the charging points uh, that's the name on them uh, and there was at least 13, 14, 15 I'm not too sure I didn't count but there was a good number of them anyhow along a car space first when I looked and I glanced over I thought it was something to do with hoovering or something but then when I looked closer I realised yeah it was the charger car anyway uh, Heidi thank you for the photo of that and the electric charge points uh, which you will be charged for uh, next year 2019 if you have an electric car or thinking of getting an electric car Uh, Yeah, if you thought it was going to be free, it ain't. And you wonder what else is going to come in. All those benefits you get for an electric car, well, they are going to change, I'm sure, when more and more people go from diesel and petrol and switch to electric and technology. uh, It gets better when you're looking at electric cars. And on the issue of broadband, uh, Jim on text saying, great to hear the discussion on broadband. And again, no surprise that the actual current situation is not going to happen the broadband scheme has been a failure from day one I'm glad to hear though of other services continuing on with their broadband infrastructure into rural areas great to see that coming down the line hopefully that will run faster than the national broadband scheme which is just now at this stage becoming a scandal and a waste of money uh, says Jim in Mallow on text to 0862103103 while Marion saying yes another report on something they made a mess of. Here we go again. We'll know in November about the broadband scheme, but how much are we paying for this particular report? It seems we pay these guys money to do reports on reports, and all these reports, Marion says, are on mess ups caused by those in Leinster House. Uh, thanks, Marion, for your text. And Sandy says, nice to hear Sean Sherlock speaking since on the broadband issue and its, term, its effects really on businesses and the current fiasco in provision of the services, uh, which should be rendered with. with 
when you look outside the EU uh, and the way the EU appoint uh, and are having final decisions, maybe the, it should go back to the EU and they should have a final decision on that, I presume, was what you, you're making your point there, Sandy. A uh, pity that he didn't see Joan Burton's pension decision and cuts in the same light. If the Labour were in coalition, would he speak up now, is asking Sandy. Well, that's something uh, that he left to answer himself. If he was in government, would he be giving me a different answer than what he gave? Uh, but on the broadband issue, it's in the situation it's in and we'll have to wait until November from that report uh, to see what will come out of uh, that report regarding the future of the broadband scheme. Sandy, thanks for your text to 0862103103. While James Mbouri says it seems that down through the years, the Irish government manages to make a mess of everything and now the final straw, no broadband for people trying to run a business in a rural area, says James. And speaking there, and Sandy touched on it with Labour, uh, and John in the city, he's predicting that Labour, as a party, will lose their remaining seven seats in the elections next year. In the local elections, I presume, John, you mean. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Labour. It is changing times for political parties, and people are changing their attitudes to all parties before uh, you would have seen people going to a certain party for maybe a protest vote or for one reason or another, but even that now is changing uh, with regards to the voting in this particular country. And also, um, this news, of course, uh, coming out to us this morning and Dan uh, making a point on this. This is to do with Morris McCabe. And of course, you'll be aware from listening to our news with Barry uh, that Morris McCabe, of course, best known as the Garda whistleblower, he's to retire from the force. His retirement comes three weeks after the publication of the Disclosures Tribunal report, uh, which vindicated Sergeant McCabe. Uh, we, we all know what happened in that particular report. And indeed, uh, the report found that McCabe McCabe was the victim of a smear campaign by former Garda Commissioner Martin Cannon and indeed the former press officer Dave Taylor. But Dan on text asking the question, uh, in light of that particular news I've just mentioned, surely the actions of Cannon and Taylor should affect their entitlement to their particular pensions or would that be swept under the carpet as usual at the top, says Dan. It's a good point, Dan, and I would hope that some thing will happen regarding the way they carried on within the Garda Shikona. Uh, obviously it does look at the whole Garda Shikona as a force itself and there's been many question marks over that uh, following that particular case but yeah it's a good point and I think a lot of people would agree with you because they did wrong that they now should also uh, be the ones uh, that will suffer financially uh, is one way to, to punish them I suppose Dan thank you for your text on that to 86 and something we're going to discussing shortly this is the future of the EU your comments are welcome on this we'll have Ireland South MEP Deirdre Clune joining us in studio if you have any questions for Deirdre you can text us on the future of the European Union and Michael in Castletown Bear when I'm mentioning Angela Merkel stepping down he says with 63 year old Jean-Claude Juncker retiring and 64 year old Angela Merkel stepping down there will be very interesting days ahead uh, when it comes to the European political world we shall have to watch this space says Michael in Castletown Bear on WhatsApp to 86 Now, something else that we spoke about, this is a few weeks ago back, and this is to do with the HAP scheme. And there was a texter uh, that got in contact with us and we, we rang him back and we got the information. He is and was applying for the HAP scheme. And when he applied, he received a text back and the text was a notification saying that you know they have his applications and he'll hear from them shortly. And uh, you, you will get a phone call when you're ready to be signed up to the scheme. And it said the HAP unit of Cork County Council, that was the sign off on the particular text. However, his concern was that the text number on 
beyond the text came from the UK. It was a UK mobile number beginning with 0044 and one of the UK mobile prefixes of 78. And he sent us a screenshot of the particular text and he was wondering, was there an outside company dealing with the HAP scheme for applicants as he felt it would have been wrong for them to be dealing with the HAP scheme for applicants? Well, we did contact Cork County Council on this as they deal with the HAP scheme here in the Cork County area and they came back to us saying in your response to the query, uh, the council can advise that while an external company is being used to provide this notification service, all HAP applications are processed by Cork County Council staff within county halls. So even though our texter did get a message back from a UK number, yes, the outsourcing, they have outsourced that particular uh, notification service to a company and that company must be located within the UK. Not too sure where in the UK that is, whether it's in England or Northern Ireland or where, I'm not too sure, uh, but it is outsourced to a UK company. But then the actual HAP applications themselves, they are physically processed and dealt with within the council and within county halls. So that answers that question to do with the notifications you get if you're applying for the HAP scheme and also Halloween tonight so take care if you were out and about and make sure please light up uh, have a torch or have something have reflective clothing on you because I was driving last night and it was actually in the Mallow area uh, leaving the studios yesterday evening quite late and the amount of people walking on roads with no footpaths but wearing dark clothes now it many caught people out because the clocks went back over the weekends and were used to the brighter evenings and it got darker around 4.30 to 5 o'clock onwards it was dark so maybe people got cut out because of that but anyhow regardless uh, be sure to light up because a number of cars ahead of me hadn't seen the people walking on the road one of them had a buggy uh, but you wouldn't really have seen it because it was so dark unless you had reflective wear or a torch or something you wouldn't have seen the person walking because they were wearing dark clothing so uh, first of all if you're on the boat walking late at night make sure you can be seen and also tonight for trick-or-treaters make sure they are seen because as usual if you're trick-or-treating or dressed up and a lot of things associated with Halloween are dark witches and that type of thing so make sure you have a lantern or something so people can see you if you're walking especially in more rural areas but also in urban areas whereby there might not be great lighting in a particular street or a housing estate and with the trick-or-treating at Halloween also be aware it's going to get very cold tonight when sunset comes uh, it's going to get temperatures dropping back to minus one degree so be aware of that if you are out and about but if you want to go and see a particular house that, that has been done up for Halloween a lot of homes get done up for Christmas well one man in Crossbury Com Prout he has uh, been getting a lot of attention all the local adults and children from his area have been calling to his home in Crossbury. He's decorated his house again. He's doing this now for over a decade and he's been adding to his collection every year. Um, himself and his wife Anne and his three children who are Elizabeth, Christopher and Peter, uh, they are getting involved in the act as well and a lot of them are posing as part of the display in various disguises but if you want to go along there, I'm sure it's signposted the Scare House. It's all for charity as well and that is in the Prouts, uh, Con Prouts house in Crossbury. It is signposted in the area and I'm sure if you were in the Crossbury area if you ask anybody they'll point you to this house if you can find it with all the spooky items in and around the house uh, all funds raised from what they do goes towards St Gabriel's School in Bishopstown and St Gabriel's cater for children with special needs so well done there to that particular family in Crossbury 
And also Spooky Town, ourselves here at C103 are involved with Spooky Town. That continues at Photo Island Resort. And if you're travelling from Clonakilty to Worski Breen, passing through Lepia every year, they have the Scarecrow Festival. That is underway at the moment. And you will see a lot of scarecrows and a few witches as well in and about Lep. I think they're going to be having the repeat of their performance where they have, it's like a parade um, going on where you'll see a lot of witches and various people dressed up on this coming Sunday night. But you can drive through Lep if you want a Halloween experience it's all been done up with scarecrows for Halloween C103 Jobs and here's your job opportunities for today a childminder required to mind children in the children's own home four days a week experience and references are essential it's in the Liscarroll area you can contact 087 657 5366 an experienced bar person is required for Mallow Town. Fluent English with a good worth ethic. Re- references also essential. You can apply in writing to localpubmallow at gmail.com. And a first year apprentice carpenter is wanted in the Mallow area. Inquiries to Kieran on 087-993-1203 or by email to contact at fitzgeraldsconstruction.ie. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Now a lot of questions are hanging over Europe at the moment as German Chancellor Angela Merkel is to step down, Brexit and a lot of other issues hitting Europe. Some are asking what will be the future of the Union? Will it survive? Well, Deirdre Clune, MEP for Ireland South, joins me in studio this morning. Good morning to you Deirdre. And thanks for joining us in studio. First of all, the news came this week. Many people were surprised. You you might have been in the know more than us, but uh, the decision for Angela Merkel to leave her role as German Chancellor and not seek election, obviously it comes in the back of her own country, her own party, the CDU, who didn't perform very well in the elections in Germany. This is going to change the figureheads in the EU and you're going to see more leaving over the next few years. Uh, Obviously, people are getting older, retirements and all of that. What's the impact for Europe, though, when you look at high figures like Angela and others who have changed the face of Europe mm. in one way and have, have brought Europe through recession when people might have thought they made harsh decisions. They were saying they had to make decisions like that to ensure the union survived. What's going to happen now with these big heads gone and, and people are looking to bring down the union? Yeah, I certainly think we'll miss, miss Angela, Mer- Angela Merkel. I think she's been a, a wonderful leader, if you like, through very difficult times. And uh, it's not surprised that she has gone. I think there was, as you said yourself, there was difficulty the last election for her and um, her party didn't do too well in regional and local elections recently. So she's, she's not gone. She's going in three years time unless there's a, some snap election in between. But, um, you know, there's always change in politics. Nothing is forever. Angela Merkel has been there a long time. If you look, read her history and st- study, just even knowing a little bit about her, she came from Eastern Europe. So I think she was ideally placed to, to represent Germany and represent Europe and you know, the divisions that are there, that were there, that were hoping to, to uh, unite people now and move forward. But she has been a very strong influence, a really steady, steady, steady eddy, if you like, in, in the European institutions uh, she will be missed but there will be others to replace her and you know we've European elections next year there's going to be a new whole new raft of commissioners or some may be reappointed Jean-Claude Juncker is president of the commission is not stepping is is stepping down won't be there anymore will Donald Tusk all these names that we see now Mm. the break the negotiations will he be reappointed It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Again, uh, the talk is he's going back to Poland to representative politics there. So we don't know, but there will be change. Um, and that, that, that's the nature of it and that's, that's politics and but change can be good mm-hmm. as well I know uh, France's president Emmanuel Macron he's mm-hmm. one of the ones who's uh, poised to take over from Angela Merkel would that be good or bad for Ireland could France really have mixed views when it comes to us over the years well, um, yeah, he, Mr. Macron is, has very strong ideas about Europe. He's been very energetic and campaigning across Europe. But I would think if you look at the polls, he's probably not doing as well as she would have done in her own country. So you need, you need to look after the home base too. So we'll see. We'll see what the elections throw up. I mean, Monsieur Macron does, doesn't actually have one MEP in the parliament. It's a completely new, new party, but he'd probably likely to, to change that um, after the, the elections. But we'll see, see what it brings. We've seen changes in Italy. Which they've gone more uh, to, to to the right, mm. and you've seen their stance recently on um, immigrants. They've, they've opposed opposed uh, taking in any more immigrants. Spain, on the other hand, has got a socialist prime minister now, and they've moved towards the left. So there's always this constant change, and um, at the same time, the stability of the institutions they 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 keep going. So I think for Angela Merkel. One of the reading a lot about her over the weekend and one of the reasons given probably for her downfall was um, or for her parties not doing so well was because of her welcoming of refugees uh, into Europe that time. She opened her doors and she probably she said it because Germany needed people to to work Mm -hmm. in their healthcare institutions and and, uh, they just needed needed workers needed to to increase their population. uh, And that didn't go down too well. But I think history would be very, very kind to Angela Merkel. And with everything going on at the moment in internationally and we're seeing some markets very volatile at the moment, China, a slow growth on the way there it seems Mm. which will affect everything else going on in the world because people are looking to China at the moment and China buying up so much in Mm. Europe and indeed within America. But the big one I suppose more close to home is Brexit. And when we had people like her and others involved in that, a lot of mm. reporters, especially in the business world, are looking and saying there might be some type of a recession. It could be a slow recession, but there might be some type of a recession hitting Europe in 2019. How do you think the union will deal with that, considering we have Brexit as well happening in the same year? Well, I think the, the union is, is always cautious, really. I mean, we have strong uh, strong growth protect projections ac- across Europe at the moment. And Ireland is one of the fastest growing economies and has a, a strong growth trajectory. 
factory there as well. Um, if you, in Europe over the last number of years, it put put a lot of structures in place really to uh, protect the institutions, to ensure that we don't lend too much, that countries have keep their budgets within in target, and that they don't. Um, you know, don't don't spend a lot when the think tanks are good. And so that we've learned learned from the lessons. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. nobody ever said Europe was perfect. Uh, it's changing and it's it's evolving. But I think uh, it, it it has survived, and that's that's one of them. It's it's strong points really through two very difficult times, and it has learned. And we've seen. So I think there are structures in place now in terms of supervisory mechanisms for individual countries, reports and and individual countries and how they're doing. Uh, that'll uh, steer us through difficult times if there are ahead but you know this is the report you're talking about now on this on sentiment on sentiment only on the basis of one leader moving on but she may be there for another three years she Mm. may be a force of stability over those next three years we don't know. And speaking of how things were changing and indeed stability within Europe, uh, one of those uh, that might not be so stable is the UK, of course, mm. and Brexit is very much something being spoken about every day, not only here in Ireland, but across the world. Uh, the UK seems at the moment to looking for some type of Norway arrangement. That doesn't look like it's going to happen from anybody within the European Union. Uh, do, do you think the UK realised the seriousness of this, the way it's continuing and they're missing deadlines? Uh, do you think they're on a different universe when it comes to the EU and they're not realising how the impact will hit them. Well, I think um, what, you, what you're saying there is probably correct, but I think there's some within the UK on the negotiating side do side uh-huh. do know what's ahead of them. And I think you have to separate the rhetoric that's in the media and the, the calling and the statements in the uh-huh. media from the actual uh, negotiations that are going on. And we negotiate, or the Europe, Europe is negotiating with uh, Theresa May and her government Theresa, led, Theresa May is leading leading those negotiations and those statements so that's where where, it, where it's at uh, and you said uh, she's talking now about maybe a Norway like situation yeah. where, but that may be but we still that is for the future arrangement but we still haven't agreement on their actual withdrawing and I know it's it can be confusing and it's I'm trying as mm-hmm. I said you try not to use Eurospeak but actual yeah. if you're going to withdraw from the European Union, which the UK are, and we respect that decision. They're going to do it by next March. And there are a number of facets to that withdrawal agreement that they have to agree. And one of them is uh, budgetary matters. Now, the UK have made commitments, as, as all European countries do, to the end of 2020. That's the budgetary cycle. It's every seven years in Europe. So they said, yes, of course, everybody, every country agreed seven years ago to, you know, 40% budget for CAP, money for Horizon 2020 research programmes for Erasmus, uh, for cohesion funding for the European Social Fund, all the various programmes. That was agreed to be spent uh, and the f- money was agreed, the actual monies as well as the programmes. The governments agreed to the contribution. Some didn't have to contribute. Most contributed. Those who can contribute, as Ireland is now, we're a net contributor, 1% of GDP. So they're the commitments that the UK have given, regardless of whether they remain membership or not. And that, in broad sense, that part of the negotiations has been agreed. There's also this situation with European citizens in the UK, what's their future? Mm-hmm. And UK citizens in Europe, what's their future? And and that has been broadly agreed. And then the third issue is the is the Irish situation and the the yeah, are you surprised at that by some of those in the UK who just cannot get a grasp of the actual border and really don't know the difference? Uh, you would really think they, they would, but they don't really see a difference in North and South. They don't really understand the border. And shockingly enough, and I suppose no surprise if you speak to people from the UK, it's not in their, their history and schools, but they're not aware of the history and, and the historic reasons of why there is a border there in the first place. 
Yeah, I am actually surprised and I've been disappointed at some of the comments you've heard. But at the same time, um, I think both governments have to stand by the Good Friday Agreement because I made the point that uh, we all voted for that agreement. Mm. We yeah. voted for it. It's, it's a vote of the people. It's their will. It's it's a tre- It's an international treaty that's been registered in The Hague. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it, it has to be respected. You can't walk away from it. It's not like a, any other border, as Boris Johnson said at one point. He said, uh, you know, of course, we'll deal with the border or the non-border. It's the same as we'll deal with Dover and Calais. Well, they're completely different situations. Totally, so yeah. this is uh, the foreign secretary, you know, so that if, if, if he can't get it right, you know, what ha- hope have the people who are depending on him and his utterances for their information? But, you know, we've, we did. We voted for the Good Friday Agreement and all its and, and, and that has to be protected. And both governments have a duty to protect that. That's the Irish government and the UK government. And within Europe, do you find it frustrating in dealing with those from the UK and hearing about that? Maybe the Irish government here as well have dealt with that uh, because I've listened to BBC Radio 4 recently and there was an interview and it was actually Simon Coven who was being interviewed and one of the questions and he was explaining about the border as you did there was the interviewer from the BBC asked him, so will you be building a wall on the border? Now, we all know the border of Northern Ireland. You'll see the videos in and out of rural roads. You could be in one field in the north, another field in the Republic. How do you communicate with people who have that attitude towards Ireland and indeed towards Northern Ireland and the border? Uh, you keep talking, you keep explaining your position, you keep telling them about uh, the fact that there is no border there at the moment. There is a Good Friday Agreement in place that has set up all Ireland's institutions and uh, set, there's rules and regulations and there's in, trade between both. There is no, there is no border. Uh, and uh, you, you keep repeating yourself. And mm. it is, it is, can be frustrating, but you have to keep repeating it. You ask me, do I, 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 do I have, am I frustrated? Sometimes I am actually with UK politicians, to be honest, because they say, oh, be all right in the night, there'll be no problem. You know, aviation, transport, we'll sort all that out. It won't be an issue. We had the British ports representatives come, came into the parliament uh, about, about 18 months ago now, and actually Dublin port was there as well, as well as the French ports. And the reaction from the British was, it'll be, we're waiting for the political solution. It'll be grand. We'll deal with what we have to deal with. Whereas Dublin port was preparing for the worst, mm. hoping for the best, as were the French ports. So, you know, they're, they're not even pragmatic. They just, they're just believe it'll be all right on the night. But what I would say is what's not frustrating is the reaction from all the other member states. And they understand completely. They're, they're well tuned into now because they're listening to us and they've been listening to Simon Coveney, the Taoiseach and, and before, before, him, before that, Andy Kenny as well, explaining painstakingly to every European head of state and their counterparts exactly the situation on Ireland and what it means, the, the Good Friday Agreement means, the fact that there is no border and the fact that we have peace on this island now That's that we the big absolutely thing. have yeah. to maintain. Because, and it's not just about, it's not peace, it's not for us, it's not just about peace up there, it's because that peace underpins prosperity on this island mm-hmm. as a whole. Exactly, and mm-hmm. it brings both communities together, which yeah. it is doing slowly in the north. There is a, still a divide there, but slowly. Slowly, but if we it didn't have it, we would it would be, be a different situation. Down. So we have backwards. to hold out for it. And, you know, I think, the support and the solidarity that's there for all member states and all leaders is is really is really heartening, and if we're in a very we're strong position. But you know we want the British to be in a strong position too. Really, we want them to come out of this with a good yeah, deal. Because that's, we, need them that we need that deal too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah the, we need that. But, for that, but our starting point, our our, our starting point, our, our our line has been from the start that that Good Friday Agreement has to be protected, and it's still there, and we haven't changed tune on that. We just say, you know, fine, well and good, we will discuss and we want to discuss a future relationship, whether it's Norway or Canada or Customs Union or Single Market, whatever. 
but you must agree the withdrawal agreement first and that if we don't get that agreement then we're not moving on to the next phase and it's frustrating for people I completely understand it's frustrating for those of business doing business and those travelling that they don't have certainty because business needs certainty mm. but we have to get this point right and we have to establish You mentioned business the there and the certainty and, and one thing that isn't certain from the UK is that the amount of businesses who are setting up their HQs in different countries within the EU airlines were the first to move that I was reading just uh, this week uh, that even broadcasters are doing this ITV and Channel 5 now are moving certain parts of their business to the EU countries mm-hmm. because the needs of European broadcasting rights so, uh, so more and more stuff will be moving out of, of the UK but then you have Brexit ears and this is where a lot of some of our texters yesterday were saying maybe Ireland should look at this and should look at leaving the EU because some Brexiteers are saying we'll take a hit for three or four or five years and then from five years time things will be sorted and at least then we'd have control over our own borders and our fisheries something fishermen really uh, took to and said yes because you know the fish industry uh, are not happy with what's happening within Europe and to think that you would be in control of your waters is a big thing but it's a step back to the past that doesn't that that kind of world doesn't exist anymore the world like Europe is a a strong economic bloc as you like united we're united together there's challenges such as China challenges with uh, with the US with Trump Uh, challenge with Africa Africa is going to be a major bloc by the year 2050 there's going to be more people living in 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 Nigeria than there is in Europe at the moment so so when you say build as a union together we need to work together as a union I just think I think comments such as we'll be we'll take back our borders and it'll be grand and we'll back to where we were those days are gone those days don't exist and globalization is is here to stay so it it, it may be criticized at some but I, I would think globalization is say for instance pharmaceutical companies here in Cork based in Cork exporting to the US and that product then will come back here back to Europe in packaging that's globalisation you know it's it's the interaction uh, of trade across the world and, and, and there is no place for a small country that the UK would be um, and outside f- that and you know bring, they talk about fishermen and yeah. bringing back our water I think they were badly misled yeah. because 60% of the fish that they fish out of their waters is produced, processed and produced and exported to Europe. So what are we going to say? Bring back our waters. But what about your market? You need to mind your market too. And for those fishermen who do say that they feel if, if, if it was in control of Irish waters, if Ireland controlled just the waters around their area and no one else could fish there, the Irish fishermen would benefit. But do you feel that would disbenefit them when exporting it exporting, to other countries? Yeah, you've got, you've got, got barriers out. when you're exporting okay. your product. So, you know, it's we're all it's entangled and the UK have been there for 40, well, 73, 45 years. So you, are, they're going to, you know, it's even when you talk about fishing, untangling all those rules and regulations that we put in place. The common agricultural policy is something that we receive uh, well, 40 percent of the, of the European budget probably it's 38% now spent supporting rural communities through the Mm. Common Agricultural Fund Common Agricultural Policy Fund and uh, where is that now for the UK farmers? They won't have access to that. They won't have access absolutely they won't have access because they're not members of the European Union so on that actual European Union issue, uh, people, and we spoke there about Northern Ireland and the border, a few texts in from a few listeners. First of all, uh, Magellan asking, a united Ireland, which was spoken about in the presidential election, is that something you could see happening in the future and uh, keeping Northern Ireland in the EU, even though there's obviously people in Northern Ireland, some want to remain in the EU, some don't. 
and then how would that work considering you have you know British establishments within Northern Ireland if we were to become a United Ireland such as electricity companies water companies mm. the BBC having their own regional version for Northern Ireland how would all that work if we were to get unity for Ireland well I don't think we're, we're going to have a, I don't see a United Ireland on the horizon I don't think we're going to have a poll to that effect because you know the Good Friday Agreement mm. recognised that should the people of the north and should the people of the, of the island vote for that then that would happen I don't think we're at that point and I don't think we should should be uh, discussing or not, not welcome we, of course we can discuss it but I just don't think we're there because we need to be sensitive of all the politics on, on yeah. this island uh, but I think what we need well I think the structures that are in place in the Good Friday Agreement have got communities working together with common cause and I think that's what we need to build on, and, and, and we need to protect that and you know Maybe someday, but I don't see it in, in the very near future, but maybe someday but I think we have to really, I think what, 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 has, what is very important is what we're seeing now is how, much, how important that vote was that we had uh, 20 years ago because it's our, our vote, it's our statement and we own it and it needs to be protected. And how that is playing out now. Uh, just on a totally different issue before we let you go, the clocks of course went back at the weekends and many thoughts that were on to us because th- there was a vote in the EU regarding <laughs> daylight savings that it would change and come into effect this year. Obviously it wasn't going to come into effect this mm. year and there's still a lot to be done on that particular process. Uh, you're still asking people to get involved in that particular yeah. conversation. Uh, the majority contacting us would rather daylight savings be scrapped? Mm. The view is something similar from Europe. If that does come about, when can we see the changes being implemented across the EU? Well, at the moment, there's a consultation happening here in Ireland. In fact, Charlie Flanagan, Minister for Justice, yeah. at the weekend launched a consultation. Mm-hmm. It's open until the end of this month or end of November. So I'd ask anybody who feel strongly about this the opportunity to have your say because I think we should scrap the changes. This six every six months changing is. That is ridiculous in itself. And I think we should stay in summertime. That's my opinion. But I think it, that's also stacked up or it's supported by information such as it's safer on the roads. It, it leaves for more time for activity. It's better for your mental health. But um, when are we going to see it? It's a matter now. For the commissioner said they'd like to see it next March. I don't think that's going to happen. But they've asked all member states to look at it, to come forward with what do they want to do. Do they want to stay in summertime or do they want to stay in wintertime? ask their people and move forward and, 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 change, and move to a point where we can uh, change and the And how soon would that particular point happen? Is there uh, a timeline? 20, 20, 20, that is, is what I expected now because there's some, there is some resistance, not every country uh-huh. wants it depending on what, how, how, how far east or how far west or how yeah. far north they are. But I think we can get to a consensus. And one thing then is the UK will be gone out of Europe at that stage, mm. out of the EU, that is anyhow. And I, I did mention this to your, your colleague, uh, Sean Kelly. He said the UK would remain in the same time zone as the EU because for logistics, they would have to. Would you go along with that? Some people are saying we could have a different time zone in Ireland from north and south if we all remain on summertime and they keep up daylight savings. We, well, I would think I would agree that probably from a pragmatic point of view, we'll, we'll either align with the UK or they align with with with, mm-hmm. with us and at the moment we're in the same time zone as the UK and Portugal three of us in one time zone the rest there's there's two more time zones but um, I'd say from a pragmatism will win win out stay on the day yeah and I've, I've Liam on here as well a good news that came in during the week for a lot of people about plastics and we see mm. TV shows about the plastics within our seas and you have banned the use of single plastics and that mm. was uh, it wasn't the last week the week before within the it was last week yeah. we had to vote yeah we voted last week in Strasbourg to move forward with that and banning single use plastics it's now a matter of putting all those rules and regulations in place from 2021 depending on the product but uh, to and, and that's sending out a clear message to manufacturers and to those that use plastics to deliver their goods. You need to come up with an alternative.
Yeah. Okay, before I let you go, and I mentioned this earlier on as well on the show, this was to do with the presidential election. Um, your own colleague within Europe, uh, Lena Rida, she did run uh, for president. She wasn't uh, lucky on this particular occasion. Anyhow, which in Fein, we saw a big uh, change in voting when it came to Peter Casey. Michael D stays on. Uh, your view on the presidency and, and the election itself, and we were you surprised that someone uh, as an MEP like Lena Rida got such a low vote for Sinn Féin and the Peter Casey vote then was so high? Mm. No, I'm, I mean, I think presidential elections are different to other elections yeah, as we saw totally. the last time they take uh-huh. on a life of their own. I think Michael D was the clear winner from the start from my point of view and the way he's conducted himself for the last seven years and um, he was, ob- well, not obviously, but I think polls were showing that, uh, that he was going to do well and uh, there wasn't going to be another winner then on the day. Mm. So I think, you know, I th- I'm not surprised at the, at the result, really. We saw a similar result last time. But, you know, he's he's been a great president and he's the guy who's going to stand up, represent us at the UN, uh, meet heads of state when they come. And he'll be there if there's a phone call in the middle of the night from the Taoiseach to say we have a problem. And <laughs> for Leah then, uh, who, who ran as well, mm. uh, is something as an MEP, I know MEPs have run before, is it something that you would maybe consider in the next seven years? Uh, maybe go from Europe and and try and run like Leah did for presidency later on. Not for on. me, no, 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 no. I'm happy, very happy where <laughs> I am. No, I don't. Having seen that, no, no, no. I think um, you know. I think it's in a very exciting time in European politics at the moment. There is a lot happening, and you know, Brexit obviously is 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 the big mm-hmm. the big question. But then there's other questions like the future of Europe and Ireland's place in that. I think it's it's very very important that we have people there who are committed to it I, I really have been passionate about Europe and it's our, our membership of the European Union I think is very very important for us and I want to continue in that role and this week you're within your own constituency travelling around mm. is that something you find hard to get on the ground considering you're, you've a lot of travelling to do going to Brussels and Strasbourg not the easiest destination to get to from Ireland no. uh, is it something you would like more to get around your constituency just seeing the results over the weekend from the election people felt the establishment was out of touch they may say the same about yeah. Europe is that something you would well, like to see more of or is it difficult because it is at the end of the day for the European Union so you have to be in Europe well your job is to be in Brussels or Strasbourg and that's where I have to be but yeah. this is a week where they you know, don't have meetings to get get in touch with your constituent because it's funny. People quite often say to you, oh, I don't know what's going on in Europe. There's kind of this big disconnect. And I find sometimes there is a disconnect mm-hmm. when you're in Europe to find out what's going on on, on, the, the, on ground. the ground. Yeah. So it's important to, to be in touch and to meet as many, as many people as you can. And it's great, important too, to have the opportunity to feed back as best you can what's happening there because decisions that are taken in the European Parliament and the European institutions actually uh, are, do eventually filter back and have an influence. 80% of the legislation that goes through our doll originates in Europe. And then that obviously hits so those on the ground so it does mm-hmm. affect us in the end. Uh, for the moment, Deirdre, thanks for joining us in studio this morning. That's Ireland MEP for the Ireland South, Deirdre Clune. Peter Doddall, the Irish gardener, he's along after 12.30. If you have a question for Peter from your garden, well, let us know. You can get on to, on to, on to Bernie now on 1850-333-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can keep your questions coming for Peter. He'll be along answering all your gardening queries from around 12.30 this afternoon noon and also shortly a lot of people in certain areas of Cork over the last year or so not happy because of their water supply being switched on being turned off being switched on turned off and it's really frustrating and annoying them we spoke to people uh, from parts and areas near Ross Carberry who were affected by that earlier this year also Belvilly near Cove and the work's ongoing there at the moment uh, to resolve that particular issue 
We've got calls over the last week or so from Cecilstown near Mano. We'll hear from that particular community shortly on the problems they're having with their water supply. But uh, keep your calls coming to us, 1850-333-103. A lot of calls coming in regarding the European Union, and I'll get to those shortly. But earlier on in the show, we spoke on the broadband situation and the national broadband scheme and how indeed it could be delayed. Another year was due to be all ruled out next year. Now it could be 2020 and further, even though some of the companies that have pulled out have decided to go on now and do their own work and and roll out their own broadband in rural areas because they just weren't able to deal with the national broadband scheme and wait for that to happen. So on that particular issue, Heidi on WhatsApp saying rolling up broadband over rural areas, this is not another big letdown for us in rural areas and for us rural citizens. How many more times are we prepared to stand by and be treated like this while here we are trying to get businesses to come to these particular areas of Ireland? We just have to look at over the years how we are always left on the long finger when it comes to roads, pavements, lighting but the governments well they make sure there is allowances for this but still there are letdowns and still the government want the property tax the car tax and all of that even at the illegal VRT the government they take that even though we are in the EU they still take that particular VRT the government has to pay a fine on this I think it's 100 euros on each car but I think that is not high enough this government seems to pick what it wants to comply with it just goes to show that they do what they want not what we the people want done it's time for a big shake up Leo spoke about while he wanted to regenerate rural Ireland I think it needs to happen sooner rather than later feels Heidi on WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103. And on in the EU in our discussion there with Deirdre Clune, who's the MEP for Ireland South on that a lot of people in contact with us and first of all regarding uh, the borders and indeed uh, Germany's influence over Europe a texter here is saying the German people are fed up with bailing out other countries. Just look at Greece, Italy and all the other countries who are joining the EU these days and yes the UK are leaving. This means that the great deal of the money that the EU, EU gets from the UK will now be gone and the EU, this texture feels, are just using the Irish border to make it more difficult for the UK to leave the EU. Uh, that is what is happening. The EU can be bullies. Just watch the news from all angles and you will see that what is happening uh, in other countries such as Cyprus and Gibraltar, there's no problems there with regarding borders, says that particular texter. On the other hand, with that, then we did ask Deirdre Clune about that and she says... Uh, that our border here between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is a different situation because of what well, we all know the history of what's happened in Northern Ireland and also we voted for uh, the Good Friday Agreement and the people voted for that so that needs to be maintained and kept and that does include the border within that so that's what makes our border different uh, when I say our border I mean the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland different than maybe borders in other parts of the EU and, and that's just coming on, on the back of what Deirdre Clune has said and it comes from the Good Friday Agreement uh, on Germany and this is something we spoke about as well a texter here is saying that many of German cities a lot of them have had problems in the last year or so and those problems arrived after the opening of the border from migrants that is why Angela Merkel is leaving she lost her support of the German people and the reason she lost the majority of the support from her own is because she allowed migrants into her own country and because that has happened even though she was saying 
was for work and whatnot. There has been a lot of problems in German cities since she's opened the gates for others to come into their country. That is why she has lost the confidence of her own German people, says the texter. And James on Twitter too, at C103 Cork, regarding the inflation rate in the EU and maybe the cost of living. James saying the European area inflation has reached the target of 2.2%. If inflation continues to rise as expected, interest rates will start to rise, which will undoubtedly have a major impact on struggling families. Uh, thank you for that, James, on Twitter. Uh, the only thing with that is uh, this morning uh, coming out on, on the business side of things that they feel now that that will not happen, that interest rates will remain the same uh, for 2019, mainly because of a slow growth in Europe and indeed a further slow growth in other countries outside of Europe, mainly, as I mentioned earlier, China. And because of all of that, it does look like uh, the interest rates, particularly when you're doing with business loans and mortgages, that they will remain the same for next year. Now, that's not to say things will change in the next six months, but for the moment, anyhow, looking at the figures so far uh, coming into Europe, it looks like things will remain the same because growth isn't as big as they thought it would be. And the interest rates for mortgages and business loans will remain the same. Thank you for your tweet to at C103 Cork. We spoke earlier regarding the Briary Gap in McCroom and how there's a warning now from locals, locals in the area and local councillors as well. We spoke with local councillor Governor Moynihan on this issue. And basically, warning the council to be ready if they get the fund from the government and this fund is under a new rural regenerational scheme funds and it's called the Rural and Community Development Fund and when that if that does come through and they're hopeful that it will come through uh, that the a local authority are in place to start works within the Browery Gap. Of course, that theatre went on fire in 2015. Uh, was a much-loved theatre across the McCroom area, Lee Valley, and wider afield. People from West Cork travelling there, people from North Cork, nearby Mill Street, all making use of the theatre. From the outside at the moment, it looks fantastic, but on the inside, it was damaged by fire. A lot of the shows now taking place in the Riverside Hotel, uh, but people want the particular Browery Gap reopened, and they feel this particular fund could just do that. But the warning is then if they get the fund, the local authority have to play ball and they have to be in place to make the work happen, to have the tendering in place, to have the workers in place. Well, on that, Noreen, who is in McCroom, says any money spent on the Browery Gap should go to the important things like the electric wiring, like the wheelchair access, fire escapes, and more so maybe for to recruit staff to look after the place. Uh, Noreen feels when it was open before, staff were great and everything, but she felt there wasn't enough staff in the Browery Gap to look after it. Now maybe that was due to the success of it. I'm not too sure uh, but Noreen and McCroom feels if they are spending money on doing up this particular building well then spend the money right and don't misspend the money is what Noreen is saying on 1850 103. And something else you would have heard on news this morning and Jane not happy with this saying I cannot believe again the teachers are going to go on strike. They continue to strike for this that and the other thing but did they realise how hard it is out there Yes, we're all struggling to pay the bills and yes, the cost of living is going up. Uh, But for private companies and others working in the public service, we are not seeing the increases. 
like the teachers are getting. I'm very disgusted at the reaction to the teachers union and them looking for more money again. When will it ever stop? What about the rest of us in the public service and us in the private sector, says Jane. I'm not too sure where you work, Jane, um, but you're not happy with the teachers anyhow. I can tell you that by your text on 0862103103. If you didn't hear the news earlier, you'd be aware, I'm sure, anyhow. Uh, the INTO, that's the executive committee of the INTO, they're to meet next week and they're going to discuss holding a ballot on industrial action. It's after their members, and their members will be teachers, rejected a government pay offer for new entrants. Now, the move was rejected by 53% of the primary school teachers who cast their vote. Uh, but the Education Minister, Joe McHugh, he said, obviously enough, that he's disappointed by the decision to reject what was put on the table. And... Uh, Jane is making the point that there's others out there within the public service and within the private service who would love to get a pay increase and cannot get a pay increase and do they realise how good they have it or maybe welcome to the real world is one way Jane is pushing it. Well, head of the communications of the INTO, David Geary, he spoke to our news team earlier uh, on that particular matter. He's saying that members aren't taking these decisions lightly uh, and have thought about this particular matter. Here's what he said to our news team earlier. They're committed to a ballot for industrial action moving forward. And I think it's fair to say that the members who voted for this were aware um, you know, this isn't something that INTO members take lightly when it comes to industrial action. And I think, you know, it's clear the members were, were aware that this was the, the path that we were, you know, we were going down. So your view on the teachers who, uh, well, the INTO are going to discuss next week, they're going holding a ballot on industrial action. And you would think, considering the initial rejection to government from primary school teachers, it was rejected by 53% of them, uh, you would imagine that they are going to on that particular ballot, vote for industrial action, which means that primary schools may close depending on the action they're voting for. And if you have a child going to school, you have to make alternative arrangements for that particular day, if, of course, that happens. But your views on that? Um, Jane, not happy. What's your view? Do you think the teachers have it good enough or do you think it's right because this is really aimed at new members who've come into the teaching profession from 2011 and the pay gap there between those beforehand and those after? Or do you think, like Jane, they need to get a Group. Let me know. 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and you can always uh, email as well if you wish jp at c103.ie. Dan here is saying when was the last time Deirdre Clune was on C103? Must be an election on the way. Yeah, there, well, there is an election on the way but she she does join us regularly enough on the show uh, the last time I would say maybe over two or three months ago but uh, I can see where you're coming Dan. You feel that politicians come on to get elected but she has been on and with us on and off over time but yes there is an election um, on the way but then again when uh, they are in their constituencies they do tend to call to various areas uh, and various local radio stations as well to outline what is happening in Europe and to discuss what is happening in Europe with the way of Brexit but Dan you are right yeah there is an election on the way and they'll all be in that boat and all doing the same thing over the next year or so especially from maybe January February onwards when the election will really get underway when it comes to EU and local elections which sometimes people find a lot more interesting anyhow your calls are welcome 1850 on the way gardening with Peter Dowdall and also we'll be hearing from the community of Cecilstown shortly unhappy their water on and off over the last a few weeks, especially in the last two weeks. The C103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie 
And due to a local bereavement, the Rambling House session for this Friday night at Glenflesk, that has been postponed until Friday night, November the 9th. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service, they will hold donor clinics in Clotha Trassa in Kanturk. They take place this evening from 3 to 5 and again from 7 to 9. Kilbred National School, their parents association, they're holding a kids Halloween disco. And that's going ahead in Kilbred Community Centre. That's on tonight from 7.30 until 9. It's three euros per child and adults and babies are free. And Inside Out Cork, it's a group specially set up for people who want to talk about mental health challenges and they want to do that in a safe place well, you can join them for a chat and that's this evening at 7 o'clock in St Michael's Centre and they're on 36 South Main Street in Bandon and bingo is on tonight in the Adele Quill Hall in Canturk jackpot there is €4,500 doors open at 8 o'clock and it's an 8.30 start usual buses are running and money raised goes to the hall fund You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 I'm mentioning the teachers there and Jane's comment well I'm not too sure if this person on WhatsApp is a teacher or not but this person is saying it's not a pay increase it's equal pay for all our new teachers earn far less for doing the same job and that we were mentioning there from the INTO who are holding that ballot next week and it is over the new entrants as I mentioned uh, those who joined from 2011 on a different pay scale than those who joined teaching before 2011 and that person on WhatsApp making that particular point but Jane still feels that is still a pay increase and there's others affected by pay scales and different pay scales in the public sector and indeed in the private sector and they don't get the same regard as the teachers. Anyhow, uh, that's Jane's um, view on it and that's that WhatsApp person's view on it as well. Uh, more texts coming in on that. Uh, hi, John Paul. The lady who said teachers have a great... Well, she didn't really say that but she did say that the pay was, was good and, and she was disputing the pay uh, that teachers are getting. She may not realise that young teachers are not that well paid. The younger teachers are on a different scale. They may not be strikes, but teacher unions have a democratic right to ballot their members. And if teachers are not happy, they're entitled to vote no. I am a teacher and I make no apology for exercising my democratic right to vote to that particular teacher. Thank you for that. And thank you for letting us know you're a teacher because it gives us an insight into what is happening within uh, the teaching side of things and the Department of Education. So there's your view from a teaching point of view. Jane has a different view. You can see the teacher's point of view. They're entitled to do that. They're entitled to vote. And it's unfair on the teachers who have joined the teaching profession since 2011 and are paid less than those beforehand. Uh, But Jane feels that's the way it is. Other sectors have to do the same thing, reduce pay. And then around that time, those people who joined other sectors from 2011 aren't getting pay grades increases. Employees having a pay increases maybe in that time also, regardless of when they started. And she feels this is wrong, but, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But thank you for the teachers who text in and thank you to Jane as well. Your viewers are welcome on that. It's something I'm sure will continue on for another few days as the INTO hold meetings on that. 1850-333-103. Now, uh, we, we hear about water cutoffs so much on the show, especially over the last few weeks. Well, one community near Mallow aren't happy. Angela joins me on the comment line. Good afternoon to you, Angela. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Now, you're in a situation whereby you've had no water last week, am I right? And and this happened for four days in a row. And then you're in a situation whereby the water comes back and then it goes off again. Just tell us what's the latest situation is there for you and the community of Cecilstown. 
No problem. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, basically, um, our water can go off without any warning, any time. You know, so much so that myself and other neighbours that I know keep a constant supply of bottled water um, that we have available. So it's like when the water is turned off, we just kind of go, oh yeah, let's grab some water and use it. With, you know, it's such commonplace occurrence here. Um, last Tuesday, um, the water went off in the morning around maybe 9 or 10. Um, and we thought nothing of it because um, there was a leak on the hill coming out of Cecilstown heading towards Mallow. So we figured they were fixing it, which is absolutely fine. So the water was off all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday. I didn't bother co- contacting Irish Water because any time I do, they genuinely don't have any information. And as I said, you know, they had been fixing the leak on the Tuesday and Wednesday and there was drainage works being done at the end of the village head- heading towards Ballyclaw. Um, for a couple of days as well, so I figured it was all tied in. So by Thursday evening at 6 o'clock, the water hadn't returned. So I was kind of going, OK. So I called Irish Water and they said that, you know, there was no report of why the water was off. They gave me a reference number. They made a case. They took all my details, including my phone number. So the water never returned on Thursday night. And on Friday morning, um, I called them again and they said, oh, that case has been closed. So I inquired as to why the case had been closed and I was informed that the air code didn't match the address that they had. Now they called back the air code and the address that they had to me and it was the same address and air code that I've been living at for the last 15 years. So I said that to them and they were like, oh no, well they couldn't find your property. So I said, but everybody else in the village is affected anyway. Why didn't you call me to check what the air code? Oh, well we have a policy that we don't contact customers by phone. So I said, okay, why did you ha- why did you need to take my phone number if you weren't going to contact me? So basically, anyway, they made, um, they set up a new case. So if I hadn't called on the Friday morning, the case had been closed and we still had no water. Now, um, I have to mention as well that I had um, been in contact with Garold Murphy. He's a local TD in the area and he's been excellent. He's approached them a few times on my behalf and he's always answered my messages straight away. Um, so within, I'd say around half an hour of me making the phone call and getting onto car road and he spoke to somebody, the water came back. So we were saying, did somebody go home on Thursday evening and forget to turn on the water? Or what was the story? Um, I did call down to the guys that were working on the drainage at the end of the village and I inquired as to whether they had turned off the water and they said no because they were the roads department that had nothing to do with them and that their work didn't, um, didn't need the water to be turned off. And they confirmed that again yesterday morning for me because the water went off yesterday morning at 10 o'clock. And it was off till around half two or three o'clock yesterday. And again, um, no warning, it just went off. No warning, no warning. There never is any warning. Um, today, thankfully, touch wood, we have water. And how long but is this know, going on for, Angela, on a given time frame? We're speaking there over the last few weeks. Has this been going on for months? Um, I'm living in Cecilstown almost 15 years. We moved out from Cork City 15 years ago. And since day one, the water could go off at any stage. No. 15 years? 15 years, yeah. The water could go off at any stage. And we were never given any warning. Never. Not once have we ever been given any warning. And, and I know you uh, said you, you contacted a local councillor there as well. But initially when you were on to Irish Water, I mean, to say that they don't make contact with with people via the phone, I, mm-hmm. I don't understand where they're coming with that one. How do they make contact? So if, if you have no water and if they can't find you on the system, you know, the one thing to do is a quick phone call to the exactly. person that rang. Exactly, that was my point exactly. Um, the people on the phones there are lovely, but they're only answering the phones. 
they mm. don't know. They have no information. There's never any information. Like, we completely understand that the pipes in the area are probably old. You know, if there's a breakage, we're delighted to see somebody coming to fix it. There's absolutely no problem. Even if they needed to turn off the water for those drainage works that went on for nearly a week. It's absolutely no problem, but just tell us. Yeah, because if you have a wash on or if you have yeah. people coming over or whatever it is, if the water yeah. goes mid, mid-wash cycle, for example, it can do damage to your appliances or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, and that has happened um, every day this week. It happens all the time like that. You know, you know you'd know, put on a wash in the morning, switch on the dishwasher and off you go and go, to, go about your day and you come back and the lights are flashing and there's this humming noise coming from the washing machine. I don't know how the washing machine hasn't blown up. It took me mostly yesterday to do a wash because the water kept coming back and going yesterday during the day. You know, so there's no problem. If they need to work on the water system, there's absolutely no problem. Just tell us. But if it's happening like this for the last 15 years and it's getting worse in the last few months, there has to be a major problem. You can't be living in an area whereby your water is on and off like that. And you, you need yeah. constant water supply. It's a basic right. It was particularly bad in the summer, actually, this year. But we figured it was because, you know, with the whole family, yeah. they were trying and to the water, water being low, yeah. we were like, fair enough, that's okay. You know, but it was like it was on and off an awful lot over the um, over the summer as well. Particularly bad now this year. You so know, give us I an average week, Angela. An average week uh, for you living there in Cecilstown. The water supply. We start off on a Monday. Could it be gone on a Monday evening? Could it be back on a Tuesday? Well, what's your average week so there? Because it seems ridiculous if you're not getting answers from Irish Water, but still you're living in an area where the water is on one day, off the minute. It's very hard for you to foretell what to do in your own home, or even have a shower, a basic shower, to get up in the morning and go to work. Exactly. Exactly. And um, like that. If we knew it was going to be off during the day, you'd have your shower by night. But most of us do here anyway. I think we're just, you know, in, in the routine of having the shower by night, just in case. But, like, I can't say that for the last 15 years it's been off every week, because it hasn't, That you know, that would, that would be lying. But, like, for instance, there in the summer when it was off and on so much, um, somebody from Irish Water did actually ring me um, at the end of the summer and apologised and said to me, oh, you know, we have been working in the area, but that's all done now. I didn't catch the man's name, no, I can't remember what his name was. Very nice fella. That you know, that's done now, we're all finished, everything should be fine, that shouldn't happen again. But I mean still today now, um, what day is today, Wednesday, I still don't know why my water was turned off so many days last week and yesterday. I still haven't been given a reason. And nobody's come back to you from Irish Water with the information. And your fear is this nope. could happen again this week. Good. I turned on the tap this morning before I put on the washing machine to check it comes to the stage where before you get into the shower, you turn on the you turn on the tap first to make sure there's water. Just to check you, you know, have water, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But okay, um, well, you can't keep living like that, though. That's not that's no way to live. We have got onto Irish water. We got onto them yesterday evening on your behalf and and for the people mm-hmm. of Cecilstown to see why this is still happening. Uh, we are still waiting for them to come back to us with the exact reason why you were left out of water last week, but also why this is happening so much in the area. So when we get mm-hmm. a response, uh, we'll, we'll bring it to you, Angela. I know you've contacted local councillors as well, and, and I'm sure that they're working on the case. And your neighbours there. I mean, have you come together and, and held a meeting or anything? We had situations like this and it was small communities affecting 20-30 people uh, in various areas of the county we had Ross Carberry earlier on this year a larger community then near Belvely and Cove they got together as well they had similar issues like you had their work in Cove is ongoing at the moment as and is being sorted so have you thought about right, that yourselves okay. as a community to come together have a big meeting yeah, and invite local councillors and TDs Yeah that might be an idea to actually do that I might look into sorting out something like that because all I know is that when my water goes off, there's two or three of the neighbours around that I'd automatically text and they text me, you know, is your water off, is your water off? And then we all kind of go, right, OK, it's everybody, it's not just me. 
you know yeah. but it's it's just so commonplace but yeah i think that might be an idea but it just you know, when it's happened in other communities and, and they have in the end, even though it took uh, two or three meetings, but when local TDs, local councillors got involved in Irish Water, I think might have uh, come to one of those meetings or a rep, it did change it for them. So it could be something well, to look out for. Idea. If you are, let us know. We'll chat with you again and okay. we'll highlight that for you. We'll also, we are still on to Irish Water about this and we're awaiting them to come back to us with an answer on why you had the water problems last week, uh, why it was switched mm-hmm. off and not switched back on, but also this cannot continue. So we'll stay in touch Angela and we'll see if it comes back let us know if you do go down that particular route of, of organising a meeting it just might work like it did for the communities elsewhere in Cork Exactly yeah that's an excellent idea I'll definitely look into that We'll see what happens stay in touch Angela and hopefully you'll have water today anyway for the rest of the week hopefully. especially with Halloween hopefully. you'll need it Yes, exactly. Listen, thanks for your time. Thank you, Angela, for joining us on the common line. Angela there in Sessestown near Mallow. What a situation to be in. 1850-333-103 minutes. A basic right, but you need it for everything. I mean, we forget when water gets turned off, a bit like electricity, how much we rely on water. Regards your washing machine, uh, washing clothes in the sink. You know the way you have to wash some clothes in the sink to get them dry in a different way. The way you have to wash the wear. If you have a dishwasher, lucky enough to have one of those. Uh, whatever it is, there's so many ways we have to use water. And of course, then showering ourselves and washing ourselves as well. Uh, anyway, uh, your views are welcome on that. I know we've had other communities of Cork in similar situations and they've solved it in some ways, but in other ways we have others whereby there is a problem. Uh, Councillor Declan Hurley, who's listening uh, to this conversation, has tweet, or has uh, WhatsApped in to us. He's saying he sympathises with our caller with regards to Irish water. As councillors, he says, we get the same treatment. We can't deal directly on the phone with anyone within Irish water. It's all email communication with little or no information. It's a waiting game and a faceless service and it's simply not good enough. Uh, says Councillor Declan Hurley and and yeah we've heard that before as well even those in power uh, and councillors cannot even get answers from Irish Water they don't seem to deal with those on the phone anyway for for some reason or another a lot of companies are going down that route Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp Declan and on the teacher situation Jane not happy with teachers uh, who may be balloting for strike action because they want uh, the those who joined the teaching profession after 2011 to be given the same entitlement as those beforehand. And when I mean entitlement, I mean same pay grade. Uh, Jane feels it's wrong because others are in a similar situation in the public service and private sector. They haven't got this. Uh, other teachers have been in touch with us telling us the situation and that it's more of an equality situation than anything else. Another teacher here on WhatsApp saying teachers are not getting a pay increase. It's pay equality. A case is being taken to the European Court on pay equality. If teachers are so well paid, go away and study to be a teacher, uh, says a signed opponent. 2011 teacher on WhatsApp to 0862103103. Jane starting that argument and teacher's not very happy with her. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more views on that on the show tomorrow. But it's gardening queries now we're looking for. If you have a a question for Peter about your garden, we'll get it into us now. Bernie takes your calls 1850-333-103. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Peter joins us next. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333. 
And just on the water situation, when we spoke with Angela from Cecilstown near Mallow, John and Clonakilty saying on that lady with the water going off, as the local authority are running it for Irish water, when Irish water take it over completely, we will have a lot more water off as Irish water, John says, won't fix the leaks at weekends. And at the moment, you have a situation whereby the council and Irish water are maintaining things. But John feels when it all goes to Irish water, uh, we'd be in a situation whereby the leaks won't be fixed. Well, we'll have to wait and see on that. See what- 103 Gardening. From water, which is needed for the garden, we're joined by the Irish gardener, Peter Dodal. Peter, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And before we get into gardening questions, just something we want to chat with you about for a few minutes. And this is a video we shared on our own C103 Facebook page, and it's still there if you want to check it out. And it's something you shared as well. And a warning, I suppose, Peter, to everybody who works outdoors and who works in the garden, because you noticed a spot in your neck. Just a really yes, just a spot on the side of my face, and it was it was just a bit rough to the touch, which is why I noticed it, and it kind of hurt a small bit to shave it. Uh, so sure enough, I went to the doctor, and um, it, it thankfully it's nothing, and uh, there's no need for for any kind words or anything from anybody. But it, it is skin cancer; it's, it's malignant. But um, uh, when I say it's nothing, the, the doctor has assured me this. You know, she 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 froze it off, if you like, as you would a wart, and then. Um, Six weeks with the with the chemotherapy cream or chemotherapy ointment. I'm sure very many people listening are very familiar with it. Lots of people get these things, uh, but it was just so. I mean, yeah, it's it, it, it's nothing, thank God. But that's because I caught it early, John Paul. That's why I put the video up there. That you, you know, I could have put that off and put it off and put it off. And uh, and you know, as we all know, with cancer, it's, it's finding something early is is the key. So uh, I put the video up just to, to to alert people that yeah, I mean. The likes of me, I think I'm relatively good with sunscreen because I, I wear it during the summer every day and if I'm on holidays, I smother myself in it but I think we probably need to be wearing it every day. Even a day like today, the ultraviolet rays are still there. Um, so we probably need to be wearing it every day for those of us who would be out a lot, those of us like myself who, who rely on the great outdoors and I, I use that word deliberately, the great outdoors because it's a fabulous place to, to earn your living and to make a living is outside. Um, but yeah, we need to be careful. We need to, we need to, to wear it during the summer, maybe a head, headgear, a hat, uh, and sunscreen and protective clothing, so particularly after the summer we've had, and who, who's to say we're not going to get a summer like that next year? Um, so we need to be careful, yeah. Yeah, and careful in cloudy weather, as you mentioned there, and it, it, that would heat up. No, and all will be okay for you with that particular ointment, and no side effects or anything like that. No, perfect. Thank God. Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, well don't you spotted it in time? Because a lot of people lucky. wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. And I suppose if it hadn't been on my face, you know, I mightn't have. You know, but thankfully I did anyway. Yeah. All right, well, a word of warning to people on the outdoors if you have uh, any spots like that on your face or even moulds because they can change over time as well. Just keep a, a look at them, especially if you're outdoors a lot. And even if it's a cloudy day, uh, beware of that as well. Anyhow, back into gardening questions, Peter. And a lot in, as usual, today. You can get them into Bernie, 1850 And first up is Anne in a Now, Anne's son, he lives in an apartment on the second floor, so he's quite high up, but he grows carrots, herbs, uh, blueberry bushes in containers of the balcony but he's had a lot of problems with green fly this year so what would Peter's advice be to stop green fly in that situation I think it's brilliant to see somebody living in an apartment up, up the stairs and all that growing their own food it just goes to show how, how anybody can do it and you, you, we can't use the excuse of having no space he's just got an apartment balcony so fair play to him um, you know, he's lucky in that the carrot fly certainly can't get there because the carrot fly isn't a fly it just jumps and it's certainly not going to get onto a second floor apartment balcony so he's lucky from that regard as regards to green fly they have been pretty bad this year uh, I think the fine weather has suited them um, I would look at using the, a, this a garlic wash is what I would recommend, John Paul, which is when you pulp 
let's say two or three uh, cloves of garlic, um, put a litre or two of, of boiling water into outside, I hasten to add because the smell won't be nice, uh, a litre or two of boiling water, maybe some chilli oil or chilli seeds in as well. And what you do is you wash, you, or you, you, you soak the plants uh, with this, leave it, leave it for a day or two, leave it cool obviously, and then soak the plants with this wash of garlic mixed with water. And it won't kill anything, it won't do anything like that, but it, it makes the plants totally unpalatable to not just green fly and other aphids, but any creepy crawlies. It, it's, it's kind of taking companion planting. Companion planting is something that you would do where you would grow, let's say, garlic next to plants because green fly don't like garlic. Uh, you're taking it a step further. You're, you're putting the garlic, you're, you're literally putting it on top of the carrots uh, and it won't make your, your, your carrots or whatever else, your strawberries or whatever you put it on, it won't make them smell or taste of garlic. Don't worry, that smell will go after a day or two but the, the insects still won't come near it. And it will scare away the green fly and the others. Uh, Peter is in North Cork. He has an old brambly apple tree. Now, he's had a bumper crop again this year, but a few months ago, a huge branch split and dropped to the ground. But it is still attached to the tree and the apples on it are continuing to grow. So should he try and salvage the huge branch or would he be better at this stage to chop it off? No, I would say definitely or better to chop it off. Certainly let it on until all the apples have, have, have ripened or come to maturity, which is around now, I suppose, really, we're coming into the cold weather. You'd want to be harvesting them all by now. Um, but yeah, and where that, you might even want to get a qualified tree surgeon, some, somebody like um, Neil Vaughan. He's based on a McCroom. He, he's the excellent to look at something like that uh, and get a tree surgeon to look at it because, number one, if it's a mature tree, I wouldn't start going at it myself. Uh, from a health and safety point of view, but also you need somebody to look at it to know which branch to take out and which branches should be left and which branches are at risk. Now, you see, when trees are designed perfectly in nature, aerodynamically, John Paul, the wind will get through it perfectly. Uh, But when that has been interfered with, in other words, when some bit of it has has come out, then the the whole design of the tree has changed. So it's it's good advice to have somebody to have a look at it. And the other thing is, uh, where that branch fell because it didn't come off cleanly that's leaving a wound so where, where it, it kind of ripped the bark or ripped the stem that's an ideal place for, for pest and disease to, to get a hold of and to get in there so I would um, I would certainly remove it and November is the time to do any pruning of the apple trees perfectly time question uh, for, for mature apple trees for what's called restorative pruning so I would remove it but maybe get a tree surgeon to have a look at it as well yeah, and actually, speaking of uh, pests getting into a branch of a tree or, or a bark, one uh, texter here, Angela, asking, any cure for that, Peter? I have a tree which was damaged this time last year with stormophilia. The branch has gone off it, but all these bees keep hiving now in the hole that was left after the branch. Now, we've dealt with the bees. They come back sometimes and they go away again. But any way of stopping this or how do you even cover up a hole in the bark of a tree? You, you see, you don't. If it's bees, then that's okay because bees are what we're, we're trying to help. If it's wasps yeah. or something like that, it's obviously le- less attractive. You don't physically cover it up. Um, but what, what you're doing is it's a bit like ourselves, John. But if we get a cut in our hand, we're just trying to make sure it's kept clean and that it calluses over all on its own. And once that's done, it, it's fine again. The same is true with the tree. You'd often see in old trees where they might have had a wound or a branch removed many, many years ago, and it's calloused over, and that's fine. That's no longer a risk for infection. Uh, but until it calluses over, then it is because it's an open wound. Where you physically got the problem, and that's more like with them, um, you know, with uh, fungal infections and things getting in there, or bacterial infections getting in there, more so than insects. When you've got a, a physical problem like this, such as insects getting in there, I'm not sure that there is any particular magic wand, except maybe just cover it temporarily. And I mean, cover it like maybe with a sheet of plastic or something temporarily, just to stop them getting in there. Uh, and and hopefully that's 
you see, if if the branch falling or if the branch coming away in Ophelia last year has left a physical cavity, that there's really little enough you can do except maybe cover it temporarily. OK, and we're staying on the same topic. A text in here saying, what is the best way to kill off the root of a mature ash tree just been felled? A mature ash tree, the... It shouldn't need to be... It shouldn't need... Ash, ash, sorry, ash... Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud there, John Paul. Would it regenerate? It probably will regenerate, so you will have seedlings coming up. Um, what you need to do is you need to make contact with the sap. So if it's just been felled, it's a good time to be asking the question. It, the problem is when people ask months and six months and even years later, because you need to make contact with the sap, which is just inside the bark. It's not in the centre of the tree or anything like that. Uh, so you, you need to peel back some of the bark and get a chemical onto it, something like SBK brushwood or one of these. Now, they are nasty chemicals. I don't normally like to, to recommend them uh, or to use them because they, they are quite dangerous. So follow all the safety procedures on the packaging uh, and make sure that you, 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 you're you sensible with it. You don't leave it around children or anything like that or animals. So you get something like SBK and make sure the chemical makes contact with the sap, which is quite sticky just under the bark. And that will then translocate to all parts of the root system and kill it off to prevent any sucker growth coming along the root system or from the, from the stump. The, the stump, I'm afraid, won't magically disappear or anything like that, but you will kill it off. You will stop it from sending up any new growth. OK, and Mary, on a different issue now, has a sunflower. Now, the sunflowers, they're withering at the moment. They are being watered, but she wants to know, will they come back next year? No. Sunflowers are an annual... Well, sorry, there are some. There are many, actually. Helenium is the, the, the botanical name for sunflower. They're a type of helenium, and there are perennial heleniums. But no, what we grow and what we call the sunflower, uh, the one that gives us the, the edible sunflower seeds, is not, it will not come back next year. It's an annual plant, so it, it finishes its life cycle in one year. It flowers, it produces its seed, and then it dies off. So, so no, no, you can absolutely save the seed from it uh, and and plant them for next year. But the plant itself won't come back next year. No. Okay, and finally, Eddie Indramore. Now, he has a vegetable patch, but every year in the winter, the weeds take over and he has a huge job to clear it every spring. He's heard cardboard is a good way to suppress weeds. Would Peter recommend using cardboard or is there a better way to keep the weeds at bay? No, there isn't. Sorry, yes, I would recommend it. No, there isn't really a better way. Use cardboard or or even old newspaper or something like that. Any old biodegradable and compostable material will work just to, 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 to use it as a mulch, if you like, to keep the weeds from coming. I, I've discovered a, a new product. I found it in France, and uh, I wasn't in France, but somebody sent me over a sample because I had seen it on, on the great internet. Uh, and it's, I don't like using this weed block, which is the plastic mypex, which the black material that many people would be familiar with that you put down to stop weeds coming up in flower beds and things. The reason I don't like it is because uh, you have these earthworms and everything in the soil, and the way they do their job is they come up to the soil surface and uh, and they, you know, they, they get bits of green matter and they're constantly burrowing in the soil, but they can't do that when you're using this weed block. They can with cardboard and with newspaper, but they can't with the weed block because it's plastic. They can't get anything. So the soil gets very compacted. But I've discovered this one, which is, has been a weed block um, in the same as the other ones, except it's made from hemp and, and straw and things like this. So it's very compostable. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be the, the solution to, to just these problems where you put down a sheet of uh, a biodegradable compostable weed block it keeps it clean for the 12 months you can dig through it and, you can, and the worms and everything can do and it can break down into the soil so for now I would persevere with cardboard and paper and stuff like that as a mulch to prevent weed growth but hopefully next year that we, we should see this this hemp material uh, available in gardens OK Peter well thank you for that are you busy with talks coming up in the next few weeks I know we see you busy on Facebook and Instagram but any talks on the way? 
mentioned Dublin last week. I think, oh, yeah. I think the talks are finished now. I must double-check the calendar, but I think they're finished until the spring. Uh, so it's, it's design. It's all design and consultancy time of year. And, and I just I think I mentioned last week, but just to let you know, John Paul, that I've moved my, my base of operations. I feel like I'm now based in Hanley's Garden Centre in the Kinsale Road roundabout in Cork, and I am available for consultations. And I'm, I'm doing a new thing now this this. Uh, this this winter, where if people want to meet me in Hanley's for a consultation, that can be arranged as well, and we'll, we'll sit down for an hour and go through your own photographs and things like that. So just contact Hanley's for any information on that, or contact me through the Irish Gardener on Facebook. Very good, and they can check you out there on the Irish Gardener on Facebook and Insta, or indeed on irishgardener.com. Peter, thank you for that. Peter Donald Thanks there, the Irish Gardener. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds whisper. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper. While they're standing in the welfare lines, crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation, wasting time in the unemployment lines, sitting around waiting for. Gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 Tracy Chapman at C103. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced and we're back with you tomorrow morning with Cork Today. More of your calls and comments from 10 a.m. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.